a beauty. Kind of reminds me of that statue, the babe without the arms. Venus de Milo. The name was Milo, but that's beside the point. That's the kind of girl to make you wish you spoke a little French. Excuse me, Coop, while I try my hand at a little counter Esperanto. Drop it. Duncan and Buck come correct. Oh, man, I'm going to miss the James voice. <laughs> We've got... Unless there's a postcard in every single episode from now on, I'm just going to miss the James voice. Um, yeah, it's it, it's sometimes it's it's so hard <laughs> to say goodbye <laughs> to yesterday. <laughs> yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. You don't look like Laura. <laughs> yeah. You didn't look like Laura, but there was a Laura yesterday. <laughs> Suddenly, Suddenly. Lily Palmer killed Laura. <laughs> then no one looked like her. Except Maddie. Except Maddie, who looked a lot like Laura. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's unusable. There, that's not even an intro. Um, oh, that's a perfect intro. Use that as an intro. Hi, everyone. <laughs> hi, hi, everyone. Duncan's right. Um, <laughs> it's the only time you'll ever see that recorded anyway. It's not, it says it to me all the time when we're not recording. It's not true. Um, so I proclaim this the weeksies of Twin Peaksies, Duncan. <laughs> the weeksies of Twin Peaksies. The sweepstakesies. Yeah. It's Sweepsies Week here at Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaksies. <laughs> Sweepsies Weeksies. It's Sweepsies Weeksies at Twin Peaksies. <laughs> uh, I apologize, Peaksies. listeners. Uh... <laughs> Usually it, we're a good half hour in before it gets like that. But uh, So welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hi. Uh, yeah, thanks. Oh my goodness. Why... First of all, anyone who is uh, a repeat listener of the show, um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, friends, family, <laughs> your uh, your safety net, your support group, uh, therapy is never a bad thing. Yeah, uh, don't, don't also feel that you can't phone help for me and Bo. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. all I'm doing is praying for someone to come and save me from this show. It hasn't happened yet. And I'm not saying that this is a distress a distress call sent out through a podcast, but if you're listening to this message, I'm still alive. You can save me. Only you. Please send help. Uh, Duncan is sending his message in a bottle. Um, <laughs> so I'm not singing the police. Fuck that. Oh, the police is so good. Anyway, uh, six. Sting. Yeah, I. You know, everybody's got their own path, Duncan. That man's not had an orgasm in like twenty years. He's been on the same orgasm for 20 years, Duncan. <laughs> Fucking hell. No wonder he's aging horribly. Yeah. Yeah, he does look like like an old leather sack at this point. But <laughs> It kind of resembles what I think his testicles act looks like. Right. It's just spread like yeah. a rash. He's just got testicle flesh now. Yeah. Uh, that's what happens. That's, cool. what, that's what happens when you don't nut, ladies and gentlemen. So just remember. Nut. You get hairy chicken skin. By the way, look for my newest children's book, Harry Chicken Skin, <laughs> and the No Good, Very Bad Day, um, coming soon. Yeah, the, the, 
like when you sent it into the publishers, they made one slight change from Harry Chickens down to called it Harry Chicken Skin. And it's now a delightful story about a boy that was born with chicken skin, um, and the children love him in the school, but at first they tease him. Yeah, they they're like, we're going to pluck you. And he's <laughs> like, no, don't pluck me. I've never been plucked before. And they're like, no, the first time it hurts a little bit, but after you do that, <laughs> you can pluck all day long. My favorite bit was when they found the mother of all pluckers or the mother plucker. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you want an emotional ending, a release, if you will. Um, Duncan. Oh, dear. Why do we put ourselves through this, Bo, honestly? I, well, because we've, we're, we've already generated another million-dollar idea. We uh, have. And I also feel like we're, so, we're now so far past the halfway point that to quit now... It would just devalue everything we've done. We might as well ride this one out to the end. Yeah, we've got three, including this one, we've got three episodes left for season mm-hmm. two of Twin Peaks, which, you know, I'm I, I'm going to be sad to see it go. Uh, it's been been very, very good to us. Yep. So you could see that we have one week left, or it's been one week. Hey, oh, 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 it. oh, nope. Not doing it. Nope. Bring it back. Tajimura. Nope. <laughs> um a joke no one gets but us uh so that's the only joke that we like we uh, my life is now a series of jokes which i think are hilarious but no one else gets <laughs> right. which to be honest was my life before this show but it's got even more complicated because there's more jokes now um yeah so, we yeah. there is an elaborate fiction uh that has sprung up uh here on duncan mo go to twin peaksies and uh uh i for one uh, adore it i'm in favor um <laughs> And I want to thank everyone for uh, for listening and and uh, Darren again went for his Photoshop uh, gunslinging. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'll, I'll tell you Nadine behind that podium still one of my favorite things. It's real yep, good. It's it's the future we deserve, but sadly never got. Yeah, uh, there is still time though. I wouldn't say we're that far off. Um, <laughs> so let's begin with a question, Duncan. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do, uh, all right. Speaking of, um, if you could do a fan edit of Twin Peaks based on your assessments of the series in this podcast, what would you excise from the series? Would you overdub the characters in the special voices you've created? (laughs) That is, uh, from court. Thanks court. Um, I, I I think that Twin Peaks overdub with our voices doing the voices that we have would be nigh impossible to watch. Um, <laughs> it would be terrible. It would be so, so bad. Uh, in terms of like sub-stories to excise, the ones that we haven't created, um, there's a few in here. I think the one that stands out most prominent for me is the, the, the Andy, Dick Tremaine, Lucy Baby triangle thing it's it's a story that went nowhere and is really still not going anywhere and it never really gets properly resolved although i will say in the new season which i can't spoil for obvious reasons the reveal of their child which is not spoiling anything because she is pregnant there is one of the greatest what the fuck have you done david lynch this is actually amazing moments in television history so i feel there is a payoff but you only had to wait like 20 or 26 years or something, which is a long time 
to wait for a payoff of a joke. Um, so that story could probably go. In terms of the ones that we've created, I think everything we've created is gold. I yeah. Change of, don't want to close my eyes, Bo. Don't want to fall asleep because I'm missing Nadine. And I don't want to miss a thing. That's from Armageddon! <laughs> Why didn't they just send astronauts who could mine? Yeah, surely it's easier to teach an astronaut to mine than it is to send miners to space. Just yeah. saying. Just saying. Is that a uh, Michael Bay movie? It it is, and in fact, there Feels is like a Michael Bay movie. A bit of an apocryphal story about uh, uh, Ben Affleck asking that very question. Of course, he did on on the set of Armageddon, and Michael Bay's response was basically, "You want to be in this movie or not?" <laughs> Which sounds like a Michael Bay response, doesn't it? <laughs> right? I was just like, "Hey, yeah, it's stupid. Shut the fuck up. Put on the astronaut helmet and make googly eyes at Liv Tyler." Yeah, and and try to ignore the fact that she looks elfin, even if she's not in Lord of the Rings. Even though that movie's not made yet. Yes, <laughs> she is a wood sprite, conceived by <laughs> Steven Tyler and Gaia. Like that movie really ruined Liv Tyler for me because before that, my fondest memory of Liv Tyler was in this really obscure comedy called One Night in the Cools. Which I think is one of the one of the great comedies of the nineties that no one talks about because I genuinely think it's fucking hilarious. Um, <clears throat> and um, she is so hot in that movie. And then I watch Lord of the Rings, and I can't watch One Night in the anymore because I'm like that. Why is this elven wood sprite dancing around like washing a car and nothing but a brown panties? Get back to the Shire. Yeah, get thee back to your hobbit hole. Um. <laughs> Run, you elf. Um, so, uh, I yeah, I agree. Um, I would also lose the uh, Madame Detu storyline or double in stupidity, uh, as we've called it. I, no, boy, it's it gave just, us so much fun. It, yes, on this podcast, it absolutely did. But if you're watching this show, just, you know, stone cold sober and without the benefit of us making fun of it. Um, then at a certain point that Madame did like talk about storylines that go nowhere, Duncan James is <laughs> I, nowhere different as a character or I mean, as and, a person, in uh, fairness, that's not necessarily that storyline. That's that was set. That was set when that character was created, like at the start of the show. Yeah, yeah. But you would expect like, well, all of these events surely are going to cause some kind of stir you know but anyway he's, he's now traveling though he's on his he's, he's, he's like we will find out where he's gonna go but his road trip eventually takes him to china 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 so <laughs> china um <laughs> honestly it's fucking um the yeah so i mean i don't know i i, I think the greatest problem with that story is it goes on too long but i like there is a bit of this I don't know what you're talking about, Boo, but you can't leave me in my strange possessed tooth. It's a tooth that is possessed with Satan. To Suzu compares you. <laughs> Too much. Like, yeah. we would have lost hours of enjoyment had that storyline not Right. Been. But... I, I grant you, you are right. It is shit. But, but we've not been able to make much in the way of funny jokes out of the fucking terrible love triangle that is Lucy, Dick, and Andy. 
we made a we made one of the best episodes in podcast history. That episode killed me. We had stars named after James fixing the car. We had we had a movie made by Steven Spielberg that was inducted. Uh, one Oscars and then Steven Spielberg was inducted into the American Film Institute all in one episode. That's that that is that is podcast gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're right. You're right. Which you've said a couple of times on this episode. I'm, this is now my favourite episode. This is the one that Bo finally has gone mad and accepted Duncan as his lord and saviour. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, well, I was looking for... Have you heard the good news, Bo? Have you heard the good news? Um, I, I don't have to tie of anything, do I? That seems like a bit of a jip. <laughs> oh, dear. Thank um, you very much for your question, though, Court. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, So now we come to segment two and that is where we discuss what we've been watching recently um uh, atypically duncan i'm gonna start first Mm -hmm. because i gotta get this off my chest get off your chest bro so i watched uh underworld bloodline and i know what you're asking duncan why the fuck did you watch underworld bloodline the answer is because i saw all the other ones um, yeah, that's the worst. Did you enjoy all the other ones? Or? No, of course not. Those <laughs> movies are terrible. So <laughs> it's the worst thing ever. So I watched this movie, and for about fifteen minutes, I was like, <laughs> "Okay, maybe they're onto something with this thing." Um, and then it was awful. I, all right, and I'll tell you, here's the reason that I've got a grudge against the Underworld movies. I finally pinpointed what it is that pisses me off about the whole <laughs> <Really>? series. <laughs> Yeah, after 12 movies. Free <laughs> uh, bull. What is it? It's that the vampires don't act like vampires and the werewolves look fucking stupid. Yes. I will not argue that. The, the vampires look ridiculous um, and they don't act like vampires and the werewolves are fucking stupid. Like, there was no human being in that movie in in underworld bloodline and it's like well yeah not i mean there were a couple of police or something that got dispatched but it's like all a bunch of cgi werewolves that are stupid and vampires that are just being real see you next tuesdays to one another yeah and and i don't like any of it and i like I almost turned it off, but I never turn off a movie because I, again, have no discipline. But, man, that was a tough sit. It was it was a really, really stupid film uh, about nothing. Like, the whole th- thing revolved around her kid. I don't know if you're keeping up with the mythology, Duncan. But apparently, uh, Celine, uh, the mm-hmm. Kate Bosworth, no, Kate hey. McKinnon. No. That would be brilliant. <laughs> Kate Beckinsale. Kate, Kate Beckinsale, yeah. And, uh, Kate Beckinsale. Right, but, I mean, the woman is like 45 years old at this point. And I'm not, like, I'm not, she's gorgeous, don't get me wrong. I am not Im- impugning the beauty of Kate Beckinsale even a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was definitely some digital work going on to make her look like she was not 45. Yeah, because she looked a little too good around the, you know, mouth and eyes, where you get wrinkles. 
It's just, yeah. it's you know, you get a little bit older. It just happens. Round uh, the vagina. I know exactly what you're saying. Bob. Right. Just deli meat. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so I just, it, it really, it bothered me because it took me so long to pinpoint what it is I hate about those movies. And like I was saying, uh, so the, the whole thing, uh, uh, the past couple of movies have been, like, she was hooked up with the half-breed werewolf and they had they made a baby they they made sex and had a baby and then the last movie the werewolves were like we're gonna get that baby and she <laughs> like a crowd of angry texans yeah <laughs> yeehaw give us that baby um and celine was like fuck that and sent her daughter away and and refused to be told where she was being taken so she could never give up that information. And so in this movie, a bunch of it is like, we bet you know where your daughter is. And she's like, I fucking don't. I really don't. <laughs> see the previous movie. I yeah. Did you guys not see Underworld? The last film? Underworld, the forgetting. Did you not see right. that? <laughs> Under, Underworld, the, that was 90 minutes. Um <laughs> But yeah, so she sends her daughter away and, and so they're looking for her and they finally catch up to her and they're like, where's your daughter? And she's like, I don't know. And you know, the vampires in this have a way to taste someone's blood and they get a little peek into their head, mm -hmm. uh, which is also stupid. But, uh, so they do that with her and it's like, yeah, she doesn't know shit. And <laughs> I would love that to be the end of the movie. <laughs> right. Well, so they, they kill her, but then there's some magical who's a fudge that brings her back except it gave her frosted tips i swear to christ um but like so the whole movie Did you see frosted tips or frosted tits <laughs> tips both really because i'm just imagining like like a, like a chocolate and vanilla frosting like round her breasts and i'll tell you right now if that happened in the movie bowl give it a fucking oscar <laughs> right it would be the best movie you ever saw g give, give it an oscar give me some kleenex in two minutes um yeah uh it's the same reason i wish we had nude photos of grace kelly i just want to know i just want to know and that's wrong grace Duncan. jones although i think they exist grace jones oh yeah yeah yeah. she got she did a whole like playboy pictorial at one time yeah, i think grace jones um what do you call it the vamp no the bond movie oh uh view to a kill yeah yeah oh. with christopher walken as the villain yeah yeah that's a more good one. more power um so yeah but all right so but, but my ultimate point about bloodline duncan is that so this whole thing is better kid kid doesn't show up one time in the movie oh that's bad right never once is a, a thing uh there's kind of a hint at the end that maybe the kid shows up but it's like who who gives a shit there's no stakes in this movie you know and like the, the big threat is oh all the vampires could die fucking great let them all die let's Put a stake in this series' heart, Duncan. Um, <laughs> breaking news! Breaking news! Underworld Bloodline like, is bad. No, no, the legit breaking news. And me and you need to speak about this off here because you're going to have to hook me up with a solid here. Just announced by Screen Factory, the Poughkeepsie tapes is finally getting released on Blu-ray. Nice. Fucking um, yes, Bo, Bo, you need to. I'll, I'll, we'll we'll sort things out. 
We we will oh, get this, this taken like care of. Oh, this is like the greatest day ever. Sorry. <laughs> Fuck Underworld. Let's let's dedicate the whole show to talking about how amazing Poughkeepsie is. All right. Well, it's your turn now. So if you want to burn your uh, recommendation or whatnot on uh, Poughkeepsie tapes, I'm not going to stop you. That's a, it's <laughs> no, a great I fucking will, movie. I will. Uh, I will see um, that what I watched in the in the interim. Um, is I checked out a little uh, documentary called De Palma, which is the Brian De Palma documentary, funnily enough, where Brian De Palma basically talks through his career. And it is fucking amazing. It's actually, I don't know why I'm saying it so surprised. I just wasn't expecting it to be as frank a kind of an insight into his career. And it really is. It's like the stories are just phenomenal. He is. I mean, I love Brian De Palma. Like for all his flaws and his later movies, um, I think he is one of the greatest filmmakers. You know, of of modern times from like certainly um, in terms of North American directors, he's up there for me. Um, he's made some truly incredible genre work, but he was one of those. He's almost a template for those weird kind of genre directors making their way to, you know, kind of A list blockbuster movies. I mean, people talk about, you know, like James Gunn now or like a Peter Jackson coming from like the splatter stuff and moving up or Sam Raimi or things like that. Brian De Palma really paved the way well before that. I mean, if you see what he came from, genre cinema, like the, the likes of Sisters or Phantom of the Paradise, and then you see him go off to do movies like Scarface and The Untouchables, um, you know, just huge fucking movies, uh, Mission Impossible. Um, the, the guy went on to do, like, incredibly well. And what I think is phenomenal about this one is he just talks the way you, like, he openly... He was openly said, like, he gets a lot of accusations that he rips off Hitchcock. And he basically says Hitchcock was one of the greatest directors of all time. And he had all these great filming techniques. And, like, he just disappeared. You know, he died. He passed on. And no one was doing... No one picked up the mantle. No one picked up the the tropes, the specific things. that You know, people tried to make Hitchcock movies, but missed the elements that made that Hitchcock movie. So I just decided I would do it. <laughs> So he's like, yeah, <laughs> if you want to say I ripped off Hitchcock, then I ripped off it, uh, Hitchcock. But, you know, I don't see that as a slight against me. Um, there's a great story about um, his uh, his filming of Carrie. It's like one of these great anecdotal stories where basically Carrie falls into his lap as a, as a script and he gets an office on the set of the studio and all the rest while he's working on it. And he goes in there and he says, the movie's going to cost $1.8 million. And they're like that, 1.6. And he's like, no, 1.8. It's going to cost 1.8. And they're like, 1.6. And he's like, well, I'm saying it's going to cost 1.8 or I walk. So the studio very carefully pack up his stuff from his his office, put it in a box, give it to him and tell him to go. (laughs) So he goes home. He thinks over the weekend comes back in on the Monday, sits down with the execs and says, I've been thinking, maybe if we re-script this thing, maybe if we redo this, I can do this movie for 1.6. So he gets rehired back onto it. How much did the movie cost? 1.8. Nice. <laughs> and his, his, his whole career is like a series of 
like him just telling stories about how he's right <laughs> and the industry's wrong. And I kind of fucking love it. Kind of love it. And you just forget the breadth that man's career kind of covered. And the stuff he was doing, which was just... I mean, some of his thrillers in the late 70s and, and you know, through the 80s are phenomenal. I mean, as a guy that was taking elements of Hitchcock, elements of, of Jally cinema and, you know, mixing them together, uh, things like Body Double and um, or even Blowout. Blowout might be his best movie. Uh, the time, uh, Blowout's a really fucking good movie. It, it's a it really, is. really good thriller. And it I, might be up there. If it's not number one, it's damn near at the top. Man, I know this is maybe a hometown favorite, but <laughs> Untouchables, I think, is just a genius film. Untouchables is the perfect movie. Yeah, it just works me. I think, so well. I think it is an absolute perfect movie. And I think it is aided by the fact that it has like an incredible cast. And just a really, it's a really well-tightened, taut machine of a movie. But blow it to me is just that ending man is just the most fucking kick in the testicles, put your head into the toilet, drown you while you're choking on someone else's piss sort of ending. I fucking I love it. I absolutely love it. And um it might be my favourite John Lithgow performance as well. I think he's incredibly fucking evil in that movie. Um, or even so just, like De Palma did Raising Kane and had Lithgow yeah. doing a really good performance as a bad guy. Yeah, uh, he's, he's phenomenal. Without Raising Kane and Blowout, you don't get Dexter season four. Um, you know uh, what I mean? That's, that's that really the, the, the template for the Trinity Killer is in there. But I just like watching it back, it's about an hour and 40 minutes, an hour and 45 minutes long. And it is just basically static camera on De Palma, and De Palma talks you through his career. Um, where he's made mistakes, he is 100% honest and upfront, where he's confused about how movies didn't turn out to be successful, he lets you know, um, where things, you know, accidentally became overnight successes, he lets you know that as well. There's a great bit where he, he talks about Scarface, and he says that Scarface, when it came out, came out to little fanfare, really, critically it was well received, but didn't do very well money-wise. And it really only found its audience when rappers started singing about it. And he said that he was approached by um, the the studio, uh, saying that you know these these really hot rappers just now want to to rescore Scarface, you know, with, with rap music. What do you think about that? And he said, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> I'm not doing that to my movie, which I think they may have done anyway. I think there's a cut out there with rap music over it, which to me is just fucking stupid. Um, but he talks about his, you know, his work with Pino Donaggio, and you know, just as a, as an incredible documentary, which just basically tracks the course of a filmmaker who is largely forgotten these days in terms of modern output. But his back catalogue sports. I mean, I forgot like Phantom of the Paradise predated Rocky Horror Picture Show by a year. You know, he was ahead of the curve with so much stuff. Um. And yeah, it's, it's an incredible documentary. Highly recommend it. The Palma in the UK it is on Amazon Prime, so free for uh, Prime subscribers. I'm hoping it's the same in the states. If not, get you know, try and locate a copy. Boy, you'll love it. It's just it's just like a, a guy talking about the movie industry, um, and he knows everyone. He's t- like talking about like in Scarface um, when they were doing the the big. Say hello to my little friend. 
scene, you know, like where they've got Hooah! you know, Pacino shooting everyone and all the rest. Well, Pacino actually injured himself, so he was offset for two weeks, healing up. But they just continued shooting the the, the the actual gun sequence for two weeks. So basically, they just went and he just started inviting directors down. So like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were down directing shots there like that. Maybe you know maybe we put a camera over there, right? Let's put a camera over there. Let's shoot some sequences. Like just oh man, just an incredible, incredible career. Uh, and it is is kind of upsetting that he, he no longer makes movies in America, all his movies are made in Europe now um, it, it's a bit of a shame but Snake Eyes is not a good movie so, <laughs> so I'm sorry, yeah, I can't no. defend him on that, Snake Eyes is a shit movie yeah, um, and what was the the one recently with Numi Rapace um, oh yeah and uh, Rachel McAdams, I can't think mm-hmm. of the name of it but I heard that wasn't very good nah, I, I did hear a rumour of not that long ago that he was going to try a horror again. Um, and I believe that, I, see, I'm, I remember, like, I, I'm sure I read something somewhere that said um, horror movie and potentially uh, Jennifer Lawrence, but I get the feeling that, that Jennifer Lawrence might be the wrong name because she seems like she's probably above that now. Um, but there was a rumour circulating for a while that it was going to come back with a horror movie either this year or next year. And I genuinely can't wait to see that. Because I still think he can do it. I still think his thrillers... There's something almost timeless about the way a De Palma thriller is written. Very much the same way a Hitchcockian thriller is written. That there's something that, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely dated in terms of the the way characters speak and the way they dress. But the stories themselves, you know, could transcend... Um, you know, decades very, very easily because they just highlight how people distrust each other um, and how nasty people actually are when they have to be. And that's not really changed, if anything, that's more pertinent now. So, yeah, it's an incredible documentary and people should check it out. And if they get a chance, get on that fucking Poughkeepsie. I am, like, the happiest guy in the world right now. Yeah, I, I like that movie a whole, whole lot. Um, But Duncan... We are not here to discuss Poughkeepsie tapes or Brian De Palma films. Uh, not even uh, Underworld, strangely. We are here to talk about Twin Peaks. And uh, we are closing in on the ending of season two uh, with a an episode entitled Wounds and Scars. Now, it sounds like it could be intense, Bo. Yeah, Yep, it sounds dark. It is directed by James Foley, who prior to this had uh, directed Reckless at Close Range, Who's That Girl, and After Dark, My Sweet. He's also brother of Axel Foley, um, who traveled from Detroit um, to L.A. to solve a crime. Beverly Hills. Absolutely true. Um, the, <laughs> what, the film he did after directing this, though, was Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Oh, what a movie. Right? Uh also directed episodes of uh Hannibal, House of Cards, and yeah. Wayward Pines. So So what you're telling me, boys, this guy is doing all right. <laughs> got yeah, yeah, got well, recently he is uh doing those uh fifty shades darker kind of movies. So that means he has let the side down. Yep. Um Barry Pullman is the writer, 
Uh, he has done several episodes of uh, Twin Peaks here in season two. Um, and also... Brother of Bill Pullman, uh, who had the great speech on Independence Day. Oh, by the way, happy fourth to our American listeners out there when it was a couple of days ago or yesterday, whenever it was. Yeah. Um, I hope everyone was safe and I hope everyone came back with all their limbs attached. Or if not, a great story. And, you know, isn't life about the experiences, Duncan, really? <laughs> um, so Wounds and Scars opens on uh, our pal Harry, Sheriff Harry Truman, sitting uh, apparently alone in, uh, I assume, the roadhouse is where he is. Yeah. I think so, yeah. And uh, he is on what we in the States call a bender, Duncan. No far off what we call that over here oh uh, well, actually what do you call it I don't know, you would say like some people would call it a bender i i would i would say he's on a bit of a drinking binge okay um but yeah but uh, uh, that that's one of those weird words that there's synchronicity between the the the, the countries both well you know every now and again it's nice that we come together this whole episode in fact, has been about coming together, Duncan, and I like it. I like the direction I things are so. headed. Yeah, it's, it's almost it's almost like they were aware that things were getting a little bit too scary, and finally with the removal of James, we can start focusing back in on the things that are important. Right, and Josie. I mean, Josie is the inciting incident here, because as we know in the last episode, Josie uh, died of heart attack slash furniture possession yeah i believe the medical term is furniturized she would all right so josie got furniturized oh, uh, and <laughs> is now uh a piece of pine and was that a sim do you played ball or was that you impersonating josie that was me i know it's eerie it's uncanny uncanny and <laughs> So, uh, also sounds like a sparrow having a hiccup. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, so as he's drinking and thinking about all the good times with, with Josie, um, in, in comes Deputy Hawk. Just looking statuesque. Uh, majestic yeah and he rolls in and is like um so you still drinking <laughs> and harry's like i totally am uh so but he brings some food from norma um and you know hawk's like yeah, you should probably eat something and uh harry who has no apparent intention to be going back to work anytime soon mm-hmm. uh it just asks so everything cool at the station then? And Deputy Hawk is like, I mean, I guess. I mean, we've got this Wyndham Earl thing. Uh, <laughs> There's a mad serial killer kicking around right now. Um, James has went missing. I don't know if you you knew that. Um, he also got in a bit of trouble in a adjacent precinct. We've been uh, we've been called by the sheriff's office to track him down, but we think you know everything might be okay over there. Meanwhile. Uh, we have serious suspicions that Nadine may be raping uh, a school child. And, you know, uh, not that I want to go all biblical uh, or anything like that, but one of the Ten Commandments is being broken by Big Ed and Norma. Um, 
But uh, apart from that, yeah, everything's great. I mean, we lost our sheriff. <laughs> he's he's on drinking binge. But yeah, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is we're doing a good job. Right. And the sheriff's <laughs> like, that sounds great, Hawk. <laughs> you go give him hell. Hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. and uh anyway he does not give a fuck in this scene it's amazing it's, it's kind of cool to see harry who's been one of the more stalwart um lawmen beside coop and uh, through this one just just off the rails unhinged, yeah just not giving a fuck nope totally out of fucks get to give is sheriff <laughs> harry truman um and so and hawk is just like all right take care i guess <laughs> and and leaves him the food and he leaves him the food he ain't eating because eating's cheating and everyone knows that boy eating is cheating that's right he's he is on a liquid diet and uh he's just like all right you go back to the sheriff's station hawk have a good time <laughs> tribe safe <laughs> Dress safe. Beep, beep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Meanwhile, um, we get the introduction of a new character. Yay. um, Because Norma's sister, Annie, has arrived in town. If you'll remember, Duncan, uh, Annie is from a convent. And the lady portraying Annie is none other than Heather Graham. Very young Heather Graham. She's got that uh, Digstown baby fat still. Yeah, just a little bit. And uh, but she's adorable. Just give us a button. I'm not again. Not <laughs> not disparaging young Heather Graham's looks here. Um, <laughs> All of a sudden, you became like a like a seventy year old grandmother. Now we're just having to button. He was a bug in the rug, the Duncan. <laughs> sitting on the porch, knowing your knitting needles and your rocking chair. That's me most nights. Um, <laughs> just trying Thanks for the sweater, by the way. I wear it all. Yeah, just trying to keep warm, Duncan. It's so chilly. <laughs> I honestly, I'm 15 years out from that being real. So, <laughs> so knock on wood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Heather Graham shows up. Yeah. She's playing Annie. Um and you know, part if this is your first time through, I'm just gonna I'm gonna spoil something, Bo. I'm gonna spoil something. Uh oh. She's not she's not a bit character. Like we have well, some of the other characters, like David Warner, um appear and then just disappear really, really quickly. Heather Graham is with us. She is with us. She is a she's now a stapled feature um of Twin Peaks. And I for one am pleased. I am happy as well. Question time, Duncan. Uh oh. Because you invoked his name. We had two questions uh come in about David Warner. Court was uh was one and I chopped the name off the other. I want to say it was uh Joseph. Um sorry. Uh but both of you <laughs> asked essentially the same question. We're gonna give it to Court here uh because of my poor cutting and pasting skills. Um Joseph, I think, um, asked, <laughs> how does one piss away David Warner? 
And uh, Court went on to ask, is David Warner underutilized in this series? What about his entire career? I, I just want to say that it was great to hear that Bo finally went through puberty while reading out that question. <laughs> it was only a matter of time, Duncan. <laughs> like, did you hear the testicle drop? I did literally it was, hear it over the... Uh, it was, yeah. There it was. <laughs> um, is David Warner underutilized in his career? And is he under? He's, he's certainly underutilized in Twin Peaks because we have we spend a good five or six episodes building up the Thomas Eckhart character or the myth behind Thomas Eckhart that when he finally arrives, I'm expecting this you know maniacal crime boss. Uh, who is controlling operations from Hong Kong and China. 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 Um, China. <laughs> uh, and he is essentially shit. Uh, for, I mean, he's good on screen, and he plays a character really well. They just get rid of him really quickly because they don't know what to do with him. Um, they built him up so long, and he's coming to this one, and he, they just don't know. In terms of his career, um, I, I don't... I think it's unfair to say that because David Warner is ultimately responsible for the roles that he accepted and he didn't accept. And I've said on this show before, I think he has some outstanding genre performances. One of my all-time favourites being in Time Bandits, which I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, as the you know the the the, the supreme evil one. Um, but things like Omen, you know, the guy's had a, a, a decent career of playing, you know haphazard, you know, sort of uh, heroes um, and overtly over-the-top villains that I wouldn't necessarily say his his career has missed it. I, I, I think he did, to a certain extent, get typecast. I think he was quite ha- happy to play into that typecast, and when the times moved on, he didn't move on with them. Um, so I think that's maybe more on his shoulders than it is necessarily with you know, anyone else. I'll just put it that way. I still think he's incredible, though, and for those that haven't checked out Inside Number 9 yet, please check out Inside Number 9, um, and in particular, check out Season 2 and the Witch Trial episode, which is, like, one of the funniest things ever. Also, uh, time after time. <laughs> because you can never watch that movie enough. Yeah. He's amazing in it, and <laughs> I think that movie gets more relevant all the time. I have not watched that movie in many years. You should. It's it's as good or better than you remember it being. I will do that before the next recording. Okay. Just oh man, the the whole monologue David Warner has about like it's you know to Malcolm McDowell's H.G. Wells, you're the one who doesn't belong here. Like, to, this world isn't the utopia you wanted. This world is my world. Oh, it's so good. Fuck. <laughs> Directed by, uh, written and directed by Nicholas Meyer, who also did Star Trek 2. Oh, Khan! Yeah, that guy knows how to make a fucking good movie. Um, was David Warner? He was in one of the Star Treks, but he I think it, it was to... six. It was the one, also Nicholas Meyer, I believe, The Undiscovered Country, because he was the Klingon who gets assassinated. That's right, which sparks off uh, Christopher Plummer's 
Yes, one of the better yeah. Star Trek sequels, I would argue. I'd, yeah, I would agree with that. Funnily enough, it's an even number, which if you're if you're a believer in that, all the even numbers are really good ones, and all the odd numbers are shit. Yeah, I, man, it's been a while since I watched Star Trek Four, but I don't remember that being all that great. Uh, Star Trek Four, no, it's a lot of fun. All right, it's where they go right. back to Earth. I I back know, but all the, the wheels. I I know, but the like the, the Vulcan nerve pinch of the punk on the subway or whatever. It was just like, eh. <laughs> all right. It's a little little hammy, even for Star Trek. Um, speaking of Twin Peaks, Duncan. Um, so yeah, Heather Graham uh, is is here, and but before we leave the scene, um, the log lady Margaret catches sight of the major uh, having breakfast, which he assesses as compelling. Uh, which I think is a great, great way to describe breakfast. And even Shelly is like, the fuck? All right. Ugh. This place is weird. Norma, this place is weird. Sorry, I'm talking to my sister you never heard about. Um, but uh, so the log lady sees the uh, the mark that's on the major's neck that he has uh, received since uh, his disappearance in the woods. And she touches it and then looks meaningfully at him while caressing her log. Um, just to let you know, like, oh, well, the log lady has an interest in uh, the major's, uh, you know, the results, at least, of the major's trip to, uh, to theoretically, the White Lodge. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, so it's mysterious. It's setting up something that may be important, but we don't quite know yet. Yep. So let's get to Hawk being awesome. Ka-ka! I'll tell you, Duncan, there's nothing I like more than a, a little humility, a little self-awareness, and a little bit of uh, the ability to look past an ego. And that's everything that Hawk represents in this scene hawk is amazing well let's be honest (laughs) he's the best he's the he is pretty much him like the world was cheated a buddy cop series which was just coop and hawk just out solving crime doing good being humble like having huge existential questions over candlelight at small bars while kind of freestyle jazz plays in the background. The, the world needed that and it didn't get it. The closest you will ever get to that utopian dream is Twin Peaks. And in yeah. particular, this fucking scene. Coop and Hawk, uh, it, first of all, that's what the show should be called. Oh, God, yeah. And they investigate existential mysteries like someone who has lost their will to live. So they go investigate where the, the will to live last was. and return it oh this is gonna be good this is the greatest thing ever (laughs) so oh i so badly want this show in my life born it'll never happen i know i know oh david lynch why like you had a great idea why wasn't it this other thing like the uh i guess that would be a dirt gently sort of thing yeah that's yeah what, what, what it is now anyway we should ask david lynch why did you not make this yeah coop and hawk existential detectives um yeah. but this is still pretty damn good because 
Coop is behind Harry's desk. He's trying to keep up with all the paperwork and stuff coming in because of the Wyndham Earl stuff and mm-hmm. Hank. I mean, there's a lot of shit going on at the sheriff station right now. And Sheriff Truman is like, fuck all of you with this finger <laughs> and this finger. <laughs> Boop. And so. <laughs> So Cooper's holding it down and um, and is asking Hawk, like, hey, when's he coming back? Is he eating? And and Hawk's like, nope. Um, <laughs> and he's like, well, when do you think he's going to come back? And he's like, I don't know, man. That guy doesn't – he's not doing good. In fact, he tells Coop, like, he's hit bottom. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're at bottom for Harry right now. And uh, Harry's like, fuck you. I can go down any time I want. Because I'm Sheriff Truman. Fuckers. And he's not going down on anymore, Josie. Because she's a piece of furniture. Nope. <laughs> no. Oh, God, that would be painful. Um, can't wait to have a rummage in our drawers, Bo. <laughs> uh, so, to get <laughs> Hawk. <laughs> uh, Cooper's like, hey, well, do you want to take over for a little bit? Because, you know. You're Deputy Hawk. I mean, have you seen you? Mm-hmm. And uh, Deputy Hawk, being awesome, the way he puts it is, uh, oh, what is it? Like, there's no reason to, uh, or no, let's let the rain fall as it has been, is how yeah. he puts it. I'm just like, you know what? You're the senior <sighs> officer here. I don't need to be in charge. You know you can count on me. That's all there is to it. And man, I, I like this shit. move. Yeah, I like it as well. I, th- I think Hawk knows that he's great, and he knows the local area and all the rest. But he he, he respects the chain of command, and he suspect you know he also um, respects that you know Coop's an FBI agent with uncanny insight and keen intellect, and you know that he's not going to be a dick about things. He's going to be a, a realist here. You know, Hawk is great at doing what Hawk does. Hawk doesn't want to change that dynamic. And he knows that, you know, Coop's got broad enough shoulders to take things on board for the next little while until Harry eventually finishes the bender, drinking Twin Peaks dry of alcohol, um, and, and then returns. So it's a cool, it's, it's a very classy move. But, Bo, I expect nothing less from Deputy Hawk. Absolutely not. Um, so uh, one point of interest in this scene is when Coop's complaining about all the paperwork he's having to do. Uh, they talk about getting the autopsy back on one Josie Packard. And uh, again, an awesome Hawk line. Cooper says, you know, when she died, uh, she she only weighed 65 pounds. Mm-hmm. And Deputy Hawk is like, the fuck? And he's like, how is that possible? And Agent Cooper's like, I don't know. Maybe it had something to do with what I saw. What do you think? Should we look into this? And Hawk's like, you know what? I think this is one where we whistle past the graveyard. And he's like, all right, I'm with you, Hawk. You and me, buddy. We're going to turn <laughs> this town around. But I like the fact that it's just like, you know what? We got enough storylines going on on this show. We're going to cut this one loose. And, <laughs> and Cooper's like, you got it. Give something the thumbs up. Um, uh, so, uh, trails cold on uh, on Wyndham Earl at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, but 
that just means we need to uh, check in with him and Leo Stein. <laughs> and he has... Yes, complicated. Leo hungry. Color itches. Leo Stein like tic-tac-toe. Um, so, all right, Wyndham Earl, I, his plan to get all the girls at, at the roadhouse still eludes me. Duncan, please explain to me why we spend an episode giving people little notes, having them show up at the roadhouse at the end of the last episode, and then that's it. Um, the reason, Bo, is that there is no reason, um, it, it, this is like one of these things which is really well kind of it's like a really well written idea to begin with that this is david warner and twin Peaks syndrome that's basically it's called pulling a warner right which is <laughs> when twin Peaks sets up this really cool idea and you think it's going somewhere and then it's just dismissed um he essentially gets all three of them together so they they know that something's happening and they're all linked somehow but they don't know how they're linked and Wyndham Arrow's there and he's one of his many 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 uh, costumes and he's watching him he's like hey. but that's literally all that plays out all we know is Wyndham Arrow is gonna well we suspect he's gonna kill one of these three um, and he's gonna uh, is related to his chess killing game that he has with Coop at the moment yeah, it's and frustrating, Bo. It's yeah. frustrating because the the whole them getting messages and meeting up and all the rest is a real is really cool and it adds to that kind of twisted game that Windermere was playing. But you are right in saying that they meet up and that is essentially the end of that that particular subset of the story stops there. Yeah, it it I you know it's a thing I've been wrestling with ever ever since I rewatched the episode. Where you're just like, Ugh, this just feels like, again, the problematic parts of season two, you know, mm-hmm. where just things seem to happen, but not for any particularly good reason. Um, so let's uh, let's explore this scene a bit with Wyndham Earl, because we've got some genuinely cool stuff happening here, which is that he has received the latest move from Agent Cooper in the newspaper. Yes. So he makes the move on the board and he gives it a look and he's like, oh, son of a bitch, Cooper. And he says he's got somebody working with him because this isn't a move. It's a trick, he says. And that trick is that Cooper is, of course, trying to play a stalemate game, trying to keep Wyndham Earl from taking any pieces and thus committing another murder. Which so. Is what it is. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, this is the cat and mouse stuff you want to see, which is Wyndham Earl being super villainous and a master of disguise, and Agent Cooper being, you know, pulling on the resources, the people of Twin Peaks that he has come to know and earn the respect of to fight back against the darkness, you know? Um, it is yet another, like, uh, it's a line that Harry has earlier in the episode when he's talking to uh, Deputy Hawk. Um <laughs> right so uh but 
you know, Harry, as they're talking about how much is going down, um, uh, you know, Harry kind of makes the comment about like, maybe they're just like the world's catching up with us, Hawk. Where's you're stupid. And it's like, Hey man, it's not cool. Uh, but do, do, do you want a, a burrito? I could really go for a, 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 a South sun chips. You, <laughs> you tell Norma the next time she sent some food. She sent a lot of it. Cause I'm hungry. <laughs> hawk. I'm hawk hungry. Now shake your tail feather to Nora and tell her I'm hawk hungry and you bring me back some food. I just love this idea of Hawk showing up to speak to him and Harry's so drunk that he speaks to him like a hawk. Cacao! <laughs> hawk. Do you understand that? It said, get me food. Cacao! <laughs> <laughs> so good, so good. Uh, so Winnemarle's pissed off. He is not. He is not pleased about the uh, uh, the situation. And he and he says, uh, "Cooper doesn't know the meaning of a stalemate," which clearly he does because he's playing him to a stalemate. But <laughs> all right, and Winnemarle's crazy. We we get that. Um, but yeah, so Leo Stein he gives uh, Leo Stein a pop in the skull with his flute slash cudgel. Yeah. <laughs> Um and and then play some music and that's it. But it, it's cool. Like we've got like Wyndham Earl uh, ratcheting up the tension a little bit because he's like, well, if he's not going to play right, then you know I'm going to force him to play a, a, maybe a slightly different game. Yeah, um, it, it, there there is a very much a, a you know a, a kind of clever guy a sort of moment there when he realizes he's a stalemate. And then a velociraptor appears beside his head, um, which is Leo Stein. Um, uh, <laughs> right. Velociraptor. Velociraptor. Appears beside him. But yeah, he's as I, I kind of love this as well. I really like Wyndham Merrill as a character, and I think. Um, you know, like, I, I know they were struggling for storylines after they revealed the the killer of Laura Palmer, you know, at the midway point of season two, and they're really trying to keep things going whilst the supernatural stuff goes in the background. Wyndham Merrill, who was kind of hinted at before, turns out to be a really satisfying character. You know, like, he's the, he's the perfect, he is the perfect villain to Cooper. He's the, the, the you know, the yang to his ying. Um, is the you know the, the crazy mirror image which we have a lot of in Twin Peaks, which is you know this, this idea of uh, um, the, the duplicity of characters, uh, you know the duplicity of Twin Peaks itself, White Lodge, Black Lodge, and all the rest. That Windermere is the I think you described it perfectly before. He is Coop's Joker, um, and I think that's perfect. He's he's crazy and he's chaotic and all the rest, but underneath all that is like a razor sharp intellect and everything Coop thinks he's getting the upper hand on anything Windermere is right behind it and adapting the game uh, to, to kind of circumnavigate what, what Coop's trying to do and he's, he's brilliant, goofy 
outfits aside and costumes, he's a great villain. He's the sort of villain you want in a show like Twin Peaks. Yeah, totally agree. And he's uh, he continues to be fun as we go. There's there's a fun bit as a professor coming up that is real dumb, um, <laughs> but but kind of great. Uh, so let's go to the Great Northern for a scene that's real up and down. Uh, we start with Audrey on a runway doing some fashion stuff, mm-hmm. and we love Audrey Horn. Yep. Um, and so that's cool. And then ruining the good time, in comes Dick Tremaine. Yep, a character that we thought maybe was gone now, um, but turns out no. Turns nope. out no. Nope, nah. nope. We're still... Twin Peaks must have a lot of story left for this character, sadly. Oh, God, Dick Tremaine. So, so fucking annoying, all right, so he's the one, like, helping organize this stupid, uh, like, save the pine ferret, uh, the pine weasel, uh, little shindig that Ben Horn is throwing. So he is working with Mr. Pinkle, a.k.a. Uh, Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. Uh, about whether or not they should use a stuff. Who cares? So the other thing going on in this scene is that uh, J. Jonah Jameson, no wait, John Justice Wheeler <laughs> strolls down and because Audrey's, you know, in the thick of things in organizing all this. And he's like, hey, you want to get out of here? And she, she's like, uh, yeah, we need to like get a blanket and some food, but I'm not much of a cook. I bet someone in the kitchen is. I bet they know how to cook. And she's like, oh, that's a great idea. It's such a creepy voice. It's so creepy. It's 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 better if I can like you know take notes of his lines because yeah. <laughs> like they're all somewhat creepy kind of yeah just, just he's a bit of a sex pest i kind of like it but he's an innocent cheery sex pest oh like when you hear billy zane say it in his you know melodic voice oh audrey we should go out for a picnic it's way better than you need to come with me <laughs> get in the fucking basket <laughs> Put the lotion in the basket. That's who he is. He's Ted Levine. Oh, no. <laughs> He's Ted Levine. <laughs> precious. Precious. You don't know what pain is. <laughs> was she that great big fat person? <laughs> was she a real big fat girl? It was, it was fat person. It's the person that. Fat person. Yeah, fat person. Was she, she a great, great big, big fat, fat person. Person. It's the, yeah, you got to hit that per person um <laughs> china china <laughs> so china um, goodbye horses tuck your penis between your legs ladies and gents or, or just gents um we're crying over you goodbye <laughs> love that scene love that scene all right so that's all that happens in in uh in this, this scene. scene of Twin yeah. Peaks not the <clears throat> Silence of the Lambs. This is halfway to a Silence of the Lambs podcast as much as we talk about it. Do you know how much we talk about I didn't realize that until recently 
that we talk about Silence of the Lambs a lot, and I really I've found it what it is. It's your English accent. Whenever you try and do an English accent, you sound like Anthony Hopkins playing Hannibal Lecter every single time, and that's what gets me talking about it every fucking time. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Quick pack credit, Grace. <laughs> so, all right, so fuck that scene. Let's get to Agent Cooper. Uh, he's going to take a swing at getting Harry out of his, his funk. Yeah, the, this this is ill-timed and ill-conceived blow. No good will come out of this. Well, I wasn't looking forward to talking about this scene until just now. Uh, now that we've got <laughs> drunk Harry on the table... so agent cooper shows up and is like harry you need to come back to work he's like you can go fuck yourself (laughs) right right in your agent cooper right in the agent cooper pooper and (laughs) it's like hey wait a second do you do you you work for the fbi are you a female body inspector (laughs) and so agent cooper's plan to shake him up is to give her uh give uh, give Harry Josie's rap sheet. Yeah. That'll do it every time. Look at her, she was a fucking crook. You were sleeping with a criminal. She killed people. She's not worth drinking over. Uh, and then, meanwhile in the back of his head all you he can hear is, uh, Harry. <laughs> Why did I make her sound English? I don't what know. <laughs> uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, she sounds like a governess. Oh, Harry. She's a character from from Harry Potter. <laughs> Is, come here, boy. Oh, look, it's Harry Potter. <laughs> all right, all right. She does not sound like that. No. Although Harry Potter with, with uh, uh, <laughs> Josie in it, could you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey. Josie playing Voldemort. <laughs> oh, the boy who lived. Did you see the boy who lived on toilet lid? <laughs> Both. Uh, it's it's art, Duncan. You can interpret it how you like. Oh god. Yeah. So I, I love this because yeah, he does. He comes in and uh, he, he tries to. Like you see, I think he. He's well. He's he, trying to say, look, you need to know who she was. Yeah. That she was playing you, and I know that's hard to hear. And in fact, he says, "I know this is hard to hear, Harry." And Harry's like, then don't fucking say it. How about that? How about you just shut them lips? And <laughs> he says that in a He takes his, his index finger and his, his fucking thumb and presses his lips together and goes, shh. Yeah. Shh. <laughs> this would almost work better as a video podcast right now. Um, <laughs> tells him, tells him, tells him to, to get out of there and when he doesn't listen to me, tells him to. Get out of here! It says fly, fly the coop, coop. You need like hot, like hot comes picks you up, and then you both fly away and leave the yep. fuck alone. So I can drink. So I can Stop drink making it. Checking noises. <laughs> um, but. The one thing that ruined this character, it was one of the only pure good characters left that we hadn't traumatized, and we've ruined them. Oh no! It's well, sacred now. There's no sacred character in this podcast anymore. We have now we've besmirched 
the character that I, he maybe survived the longest out of all the characters. Well, Agent Cooper region. really has. Like, if, if we get to the next episode, it's like, okay, you know, hi, everybody, I'm Agent Cooper. You know, then <laughs> at that point, we've lost everything. He does start making googly eyes at someone in the next episode. Which he does, but it's... A bit cheesy, but... Yeah, but he he's... I, I'll I'll take some Colin McLaughlin googly eyes um, over yeah. Drunk Harry. <laughs> Drunk Harry's amazing. <laughs> so, but but uh, walking so, around speaking like Judge Judge Dredd, he's like, "I am the law. I'm the law. I'm the law. <laughs> Guess who's the law? Not you. Not you. I am the law. The uh, law. I am. I'm law. I. <laughs> Just repeating it till it's meaningless to him. Law Jesus, judge. At one point, he's screaming at a played chair, not knowing this. It's no kipper. Just, yeah, just howling at the moon. It's it's old old man floods party. Um, <laughs> but but Coop is like, did you know she was a whore, Harry? That she had two prostitution uh, bus on that rap sheet. How's that make you feel, Harry? Does that make you feel good or bad? I would think bad. Down below, <laughs> you might want to go and get a check. You might want to go and get an STD check, right? And. Um, I mean, and that's the point where Truman rightfully is like, you need to leave. You yeah. like, I understand what you're saying. And I understand the whole thing when you saw the dwarf and there was a giant and lots of stuff was happening there. But I was the one having sex with Joan Chen, among others. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of many. One one of several. But uh, I would like a little time to lick these particular wounds. Not unlike she, as a prostitute, would lick up something for money. Uh, oh, well. I'm just saying if the brothel fits. Um, Harry should have really known, like, the, the true background of of uh, Joan Chen. I mean, he really should have known that. And the reason he should have known is there was one time they were on a date and there was a candle over the far side of the room. And, um, you know, both of them were fooling around in the bed and... You know, he did not want to get up because he was so comfy and warm to go and switch that, you know, to, to go over and blow the candle out. And Joan Chen fired a ping pong ball from her vagina just above it and it, it poofed out of that straight out. And it was an incredible aim. And it's the sort of aim that you only get if you're a world-class assassin. Stroke mm-hmm. from Hong Kong, which is in China. China. She shot a ping, a ping pong ball from her vagina. <laughs> she... She had a vagina. vagina. Oh, no. Do you think that's how Donald Trump says the word vagina? Vagina. Oh, 100%. Vagina. I want to see somebody's kids. vagina. Those are not his kids. You can grab them by the vagina. Vagina. If you're rich, they like it. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like, so Harry's not happy. Coop has made a boo-boo. Um, and Coop leaves. Harry's belligerent, drunk. Um, and I believe at this point we go to the is it the Packard household? It is indeed because see you next Tuesday. Uh, Catherine Martell is hanging out, looking over some plans. You know she's in charge of the uh, Ghostwood Estates now, or Ghost Raven, Ghostwood. Yeah, Ghostwood Estates. <laughs> Ghost I don't Raven. Know. Ghost. It's Hawks. Uh, Hawks alternative identity. Um, as his evil, as as his window metal would be Ghost Raven. Oh, it would be the battles. I'm telling you, Ghost Raven also um, 
was in a rap band with Ghost Dog, um, which I don't know if anyone watched. We asked them to watch it. I don't know if anyone did we, watch yeah, it. Yeah, we need to get All out another No point. one wrote anything. Someone needs to start. If you're listening to this and have not watched Ghost Dog, watch Ghost Dog and then post on the Legion podcast page telling us how amazing and why me and Bora was right. Um, and if you have watched it before, watch it fucking again. Mm-hmm. And then come back and tell us why me and Bora was right. And if we are right and the movie is amazing and you do love it, at that point you go across to iTunes and you leave us a five-star review. I think that's a fair deal. What do you think, Bo? I 100% think that is exactly what should happen. That's and exactly if they, what should happen. If they don't, guess what? Bye-bye. You go fuck yourself, too. How about that? <laughs> fuck, fuck you. And fuck you. <laughs> oh, I know the is, greatest character this, this episode. Just I'm the best sheriff funny. at this table. So go screw yourself right in the butt. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> that, that's Shady really is, it. Yeah. Yeah. Is looking over plans as if she has a fucking clue what's happening there. But once again, her horrendous attire, um, uh, you know, included in this scene, and um, she's looking at him, and oh, out of nowhere, um, we we get the you know. Do we know what this woman's name is? I don't know if we do know what this woman's the, name is. The only thing she says is, you know, Jones. My name is Jones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Jones, apparently, uh, comes into the office. Now, Jones was Thomas Eckhart's private assistant. Yeah-ish. I mean, We it's... didn't really meet her much. Right. And now all of a sudden, she's a character in this one. Instead of David Warner, well played, t- Twin Peaks. I applaud thee. Slow clap for you. Yeah, uh, so hardly knew she you. comes in <laughs> and basically uh, tells you know, see you next Tuesday that it's her intention that Josie will be buried um, right next to Thomas Eckhart. Which well, I'm glad we got that bit of information because I was concerned where they were going to bury her. But well, um, see you next Tuesday. Catherine Martell is on your side because she whips out a gun and is like, "Let's cut the shit because nobody cares about this." Why'd you really come here? <laughs> yeah, she cuts right through the bullshit. I love that line where she says, like, yeah, they're buried beside each other so they can keep an eye on each other. Yeah. Piper Laurie, Ooh. once again, great yeah. in this scene. That's, that's, what, that's what she does. That's what she does. She's full of, full of those, like, classic sitcom one-liners. You know, you expect the camera to zoom in when she's saying it and until you're looking off in a different direction when she says it. Maybe I'll laugh at the end. Ha, 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 ha. But yeah, um, she does. She pulls out a gun and uh, Jones basically says, you know, listen, I come in peace. Um, so much so that I have actually brought you a gift. Here we go. This is a gift. And this gift came from the, the late, great David Warner, Mr. Thomas Eckhart. It is for you. However, there is no way to open it. So uh, good luck with that. Have fun. Uh, I'm going to fuck off at this scene. And you may see me later on. You may not. But I'll tell you, if I do come back, I'm going to come back for something memorable, which doesn't make any fucking sense. So long. Peace out. Jones out. <laughs> right. Jones out, everyone. <laughs> some, some reason we're voicing her as Arnold's was. I don't know. Catherine, get down. Get down. Catherine, here's a gift. The, uh, like that. Catherine basically says, she's like, we're not entirely sure what killed 
Joan Chen. We're not sure what Josie. We don't know what killed her. We suspect it was a tumor, maybe. It's not, not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. <laughs> not a tumor. Um, that was a long way to get to that. It tumor. was. I feel it's oddly worth it. Long tail um, on that guy. <laughs> so we we jump from this scene, Bo. Yep. And where we're going to the master of disguise, Windermero. I mean, how does he do it? Every scene, he's someone else. It's I know. Just, it's, it's incredible. I, I mean, his, his disguises are almost as convincing as Tajimura. <laughs> it's the fact that he kind of does the double whammy on all these girls where like he was the trucker at the bar at yeah. the end of the last episode. Now he's like, you know, oh, I'm going to put on this tweed hat and, you know, be an old man. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, he shows up and he's like, I'm a friend of your dad's. We we went to school 30 years ago. Um, and <laughs> Donna's like, it, but he's like real charming with Donna. So I'm not creepy at all. Let's sit on your couch, young lady. For some reason, he's voiced by Hank. <laughs> I Yeah, I don't know where this voice is coming from. Uh, and I'll stop it. But uh, it just seemed to fit the character. Um, but uh, but he's like, I, I want to leave a, a keepsake uh, for for your father. And here's the uh, like, oh crap! What's the the name he gives him? Uh, Bill something. And uh, anyway, yeah. Oh, it's gonna annoy me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm trying to trying to find it. Uh, at any rate, so he uh just leaves this pack package for uh the elder Haywood, um Hayward, and uh, yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, just him being again very. Uh, Craig, Bill Craig, something like that. Anyway, um, I know Craig is is the correct last name, but so anyway, yeah, that, yeah, yeah uh, I just love how Americans pronounce that. Craig should be Craig, but <laughs> instead of Craig, okay. yeah, Craig, Craigslist. Yeah, it's almost as bad as Graham Crackers. Right, Which Graham Crackers. Yeah, are, are, how is that pronounced? How is it spelled? Is that Graham? Should it be Graham, or is it no, actually G R A M? The A is silent. <laughs> Graham. Graham. I love the I love the fact that uh, Windermere is basically his costumes that he buys are are supplied from the the two guys from the Pink Panther movies, the Balls Brothers. Yeah. Um, like, because <laughs> they are they all look like that, and I just like when every time I see him, I just get that you know. When Dottie calls, look no farther. You got balls. <laughs> I just always have that going through my head. It's the worst costumes ever. Because ultimately, in every single one, he looks like, wait for it, Windermerrill. Yeah. Oh, Windermerrill's got a moustache. Oh, Windermerrill's done his hair differently. But it's what I love about the scene, though, is whilst we're looking at it, we're laughing at how cheesy it is and all the rest, we have to take into account this scene is actually pretty fucking dark. Because he blags his way in, surprisingly knowing exact details as well. Because this isn't a name he's just made up, as we find out later on. This is actually someone who did live um, and was a friend of her father. So, I mean, this is a... You know, he's done research here, like meticulous research. The sort of research that your general psychopath wouldn't actually fucking do. And not only that, he talked in, and if he wanted to, he could have taken care of business with Donna. In this scene, he could have, you know, got rid of her permanently, um, sent her to her buddy 
Maddie if he wanted, but he doesn't do it, and that's because it's all part of the thrill of the game, the hunt um, that Windermere was on, and I, I, I like I, I mean, it's a cheesy scene and all the rest, but once again, what Twin Peaks does really well is they take those cheesy scenes, which are inherently fucking dark, um, and put them out there, and they're just like, yeah, look, we can still do this in the middle of an episode. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, it, it it's really fun. Like, all the Wyndham Earl stuff, uh, I think it's pretty good. I mean, not a lot more happens in this scene. It's really just a lot of kind of ominous foreboding. And anytime time Earl leaves you a gift, you know that some fucked up is probably going to come fast on the heels of that. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I look forward to it. Uh, but in the meantime, Duncan, we got a little counter Wyndham Earl, uh, anti-Wyndham Earl activity going on as uh, one Pete Martell is working on his uh, stalemate game. And I yes. actually, I, I, as stupid as all of this is, uh, that Pete Martell is like a secret chess genius and whatnot, um, I really like those scenes. There's something, again, about the cat and mouse aspect of it I really like. And in this scene in particular, I really dig it because Pete Martell is saying, you know, I, I've gone through stalemate game after stalemate game, but there was no way to play a perfect game. Like you're going to lose pawns. And in so doing, you know, like people are going to die. And uh, Agent Cooper uh, tells him like, look, here's what we've got going for us. Wyndham Earl is impatient. And if we stall him long enough, he's going to have to make a move. And and also he tells him, because we get into a bunch of this stuff, uh, he's after royalty. He doesn't want pawns, he and he and he tells Pete to protect the queen and he'll become frustrated. Yeah. So uh that's Pretty cool. cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's good stuff. And the whole scene is completely ruined by the fact that we have this whole thing going on with Andy and Lucy where he wants to move the horsey a particular direction and we're going to shut up about it now. Um, in the next scene, Duncan, <laughs> uh, the major and Margaret, the log lady have arrived to say that they have something that they should probably tell agent Cooper. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Get, a, uh, get it off their chest. In a, in a weird world, they too have a buddy cop series. That would be called, pretty good. Called Major Log. Oh. Major in the wood? Oh. Major Wood. Major Wood. Oh, Bo. <laughs> Why is it not a real thing? Oh. And it would air before Coop and Hawk. Yeah, it would have to. It would have to. I kind of feel like this episode that we're doing is like that episode of The Simpsons where every character gets spin-off episodes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, these sound so good, though. I would watch any yeah. of these. I would, like, tomorrow. <laughs> Today. Right now. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Done. Um, Major Wood. <laughs> so, yeah. So they Dan's sh- going to have a field day with this episode, by oh. the way. His fingers are, he's going to have, like, some sort of weird kind of thumb cramp for trying to post all these pictures. I, I really lo- am looking forward to some of this. Um, uh, well, all of it, really. Some of it makes it sound like, you know, he does hard free work. And it was like, hey, guys, isn't this funny? And we're like, fuck. 
Wrong. <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, I love all that stuff. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Ma- Major Wood, as we're calling them now, the combo, uh, are sitting in uh, the, the conference room. And what it turns out, uh, Duncan, is that Margaret the Log Lady also has a similar marking uh from a time when she was only seven years old yeah uh and and disappears for a day and uh it's not the same marking it's just similar and so you know it's basically the three people in the room that you know have had some weird experience with the light the light or the white lodge um are, are are together in a room for the first time saying like, Hey, I've got this marking. I've got this mark. And you know, uh, agent Cooper's never been abducted, but he certainly flirted, uh, with some of these supernatural elements. So again, it's stuff that I kind of care about in this show as, as weird as it is. Uh, I like the fact that we have this bizarro storyline about the white lodge, uh, yeah, because definitely. I want to get back there. Uh, yeah, of course. That's the once again that's the exciting part of the story that's been teased for a while, and we're just getting like just enough, just like these small perils of information every episode, just to keep us interested um, long enough. Unfortunately, a lot of viewers by this point have stopped watching, um, and that trend continues. And um, but yeah, I, I love this. In fact, I'm not entirely sure if this episode or the next episode is the point which they knew the show wasn't coming back. Uh, yeah, it, it's tough to tell. I think maybe, hmm, I don't know, maybe the next one, because the next one seems like we're snipping a lot of stuff in the bud. Um, yeah. But anyway, let's get to uh, Sexy McSexerson. Um, Billy Zane and Audrey Horn uh, hanging out, having their picnic. And it starts in a way that I don't think any picnic ever should. And let me... Let me pose my complaint in the form of a question. Oh, okay then. Duncan, have you ever just straight up sung to a lady apropos of nothing? Um, yes. All right. I have actually. Um, many, many times, Bo. Uh, I was single for quite a lot of those years. Um, and occasionally people would scream rape in front of me to have me removed. Um, but uh, no, I've never just randomly burst into song in front of a woman. Yeah, it it's it seems have, like a I have weird. I've said move. swing before though, swing, swing. Like that. I have done that a couple of times because you know everyone's done that. Well, um, sure. but, but yeah, this is totally. Uh, but Billy Zane can do this. He can get away with it because he's got a good voice. And but I also question not only the act of singing to someone out of the blue at a picnic, um, but also the fact that the the song has like fucking coffins and graves in it. And instead of, you know, it being all about love, maybe it is, but I'll tell you what stuck out to me were all the coffins in this song. (laughs) Do you like to hear about that? You like to hear about the people buried? I I hear that. I hear that when people are buried in the ground, the bodies are stiff. (laughs) So, so stiff. Yeah, it's just a 
goes with the territory. <laughs> Being so stiff. She's <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> so fucking creepy. <laughs> I'm so love it. Um, <laughs> there's there's something like. To me, they're the dream couple as well. That's the weird thing. Like, see on screen, they're like the perfect looking couple. And as much as I wanted Daisy Cooper and Audrey Hunt to be together, the forbidden love never happening. Um, I, you know, I, I do like them as an. I, I think Billy's. We spoke about this before. But I don't know what, whatever happened to Billy Zane, right? But I always thought he was a good actor. And this time, Billy Zane was shit hot. You know what I mean, this is like we're heading towards almost primo Billy Zane. Um, and Moody's performance and all the rest. I think he's just a really interesting character, and I, I quite like the fact that they've set up this dynamic. He seems like a seems like a genuinely nice guy. He seems to be a businessman that has ethics, um, which is you know a rarity in Twin Peaks, and he actually seems to genuinely have something for Audrey Horn, and it's reciprocal. Um, so yeah, it's cool. Like it, but yeah. the song is creepy. It's creepy. It's a creepy song, but there's no way. There's nowhere in that creepy song. So uh, we'll leave those two lovebirds there. Yeah. Audrey, <laughs> thanks for getting all that food. <laughs> and head over to uh, the Hayward House. Oh no! Where we get surprisingly, we get a payoff to a thing that happened earlier in the episode in the same damn episode, Duncan. And no, this is a rarity. It does happen occasionally in Twin Peaks, not often. But um, yeah, the doc comes home with his wife, and Donna's like, "Hey, by the way, Dad, one of your old friends showed up um, when you were out with Mum, um, and his his name, according to what I'm reading just now." a bit of research bowl is Gerald Craig. There you go. Yep, yep, yep. That's his name. Um, and her dad's like, whoa, 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 Gerald Craig. And she's like, yeah, Gerald Craig, stop by. And he's like, whoa, whoa, like, put, no, 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 bring him back, bring him back, bring him back. Gerald, you sure he's Gerald? And she's like, yeah, I'm sure it's Gerald Craig. He sat in the house with me and spoke to me. And he's like, no, 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 just here. Gerald Craig. Yeah, that's what he said. It was. And he's like, well, that. Yeah, that can't be right. She's like, no, no, he's your old college buddy. Remember, your old buddy. He's like, yeah, I, I did have an old college buddy called Gerald Craig, and that's that's true. However, he died on a rafting trip when we were young, a while ago. Um, he's now sung about in songs by Billy Zane because he's buried under <laughs> under a tombstone in a grave somewhere. He's not. He's no longer with us. And she's like, well, well. This was left for you, and he opens it, and inside it, boat is a. It's a horsey piece. <laughs> horsey piece, or a knight, as we call them. Chess players call them knights. A connector. A connector, indeed, um, and a good connector to you. Uh, it's a broad. Ah, it's a broad connector, connector, new there, I. Yep, and a derpsy do to you. I do think this is a supremely creepy scene, though. Like It's fucking so creepy, because, like I said before, this guy is not just like, I'm an old buddy of your dad. Oh, could you let me in your head? Oh, it's so good. Oh, look at you. He's, like, legitimately found one of his friends that died traumatically. 
yeah. a former part of his life, and then assumed his identity to gain access to sit beside his daughter, who we know he wants to kill um, and hand over the next part. So this is like this is no longer Windermere, you know, targets crosshairs purely on Cooper. He's, like he's fucking with people that Coop likes yeah. in a town that Coop loves, um, and, and he leaves his number as well, yeah. which mm-hmm. Mrs. Hayward calls and the number he has left is a cemetery which is is pretty good it's fucking amazing (laughs) it's a nice move i like it yeah it's like that it's like like, he got put on hold in the cemetery and once again it's billy zane singing the cemetery song (laughs) that's the whole music hey it's j jonah jameson (laughs) did you want to put something in a hole that's what we do here all day long apparently he puts it in six feet deep um (laughs) so we've been told Um, sometimes deeper (laughs) it depends on how the mood is (laughs) so bo uh, we go from that incredibly weird and creepy scene to an equally weird and creepy scene um because it's couples therapy time. Hey, everyone! <laughs> Hi, Satan. <laughs> um, so, um, Dr. Jacoby uh, is kind of being Dr. Phil in this scene. Um, and he's sitting down between Ed and Nadine. And they are trying to let Nadine know what a divorce is. But it turns out... Um, if you're a teenager or have the brain of a teenager in Twin Peaks land, you don't know what the word divorce means. It's a fucking stupid storyline. Really, really irritates me. Um, but uh, we're finally getting to the point where we're like that. Now, you know, if you love him, set him free. Or if you love her, set her free. Um, and she doesn't quite... At first, Nadine doesn't quite understand what's going on. Um, and it's put forward about them breaking up. And Nadine is not bothered with that because she, she's riding some 16-year-old's dick into oblivion. Um, but there's a weird thing that happens in this scene, and it particularly happens when the word divorce is mentioned, Bo, um, that Nadine goes blind in her other eye. Right. Which and is kind of weird. <laughs> what? All right, so what I like most about this scene is that it's just Ed looking for his way out. He's just looking for Dr. Jacoby to give him the thumbs up of like, well, she's crazy, but she's sane enough for you to get a divorce. (laughs) That is all he's looking for here. Yeah, if if that contract is signed, then that is fine. Yeah, you know, she's just like, these are dating years. We should be having fun. You're so serious. And he's just like, Doc, how do I get out of this? I mean, if I leave her now, could I be arrested for something? And Jacoby's just like, I don't think so. I think you're cool. So uh, it's it's a good day for the men in the room. Meanwhile, the batshit lady in question, uh, well, you know, she gets to spend quality time with the object of her affections. Um. <laughs> But yeah, I mean that I mean that whole scene is nothing but 
does she understand this well enough that a jury of my peers would not convict me? And I think he gets the thumbs up. Um, (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. So uh, we get a little tidbit with uh, Donna at home where she sees her mom uh, go to answer the door. And there is Ben Horn, uh, who she, you know, Donna's mom is clearly not happy about seeing there. And, but he's like being all intimate and, and secret with her. Mm -hmm. And that's really, it's just like Donna sees this go down and this will pay off later. But you know, I guess we got to give him credit for setting it up, even though, ugh. Yeah, well, it's one of those scenes where you're like, what? You get that kind of point, like, why is, and obviously we keep forgetting all these characters know each other. Um, they all live in this small town, but still to this point, what? Maybe? Yeah, and yeah. also kind of knowing where this leads isn't thrilling me either. Yeah, because uh, it's just one of my least favorite parts of uh, yeah. of this second season. But anyway, another another thing that they're putting in here to keep certain characters busy. Yeah, so we can keep them on the screen, and I, I think it's weird because Donna's mother heavily underutilized character. She's in very few scenes, if any. But now she's gonna have a storyline. Now it's her time to shine. Let's roll because she's in a wheelchair. Um, so <laughs> let's roll. That's uh, a bad, bad thing. All right. Well, bad. so let's head over to the double R where Norma is sweet talking Shelly into joining the Miss Twin Peaks pageant. Um, which, eh, all right. Um, so, uh, Shelly is like, I don't know. I mean, could you imagine me doing it? And then master of disguise, Wyndham Earl in his cantankerous truck driver get up <laughs> He's like, oh, you ought to do it, little darling. And (laughs) (laughs) you're as pretty as a peach. And uh, she's like, you think so? And he's like, I totally do. I'm a truck driver. Just look at what I'm wearing. Yeah. One thing I know being a truck driver is rape. (laughs) Methamphetamines and rape. Because I'm a truck driver. she's like you know truck driver you're you make a convincing point almost as convincing as you being a truck driver (laughs) nothing of what you're wearing right now seems like a costume it all seems legit (laughs) even that mustache that's moving weirdly when you talk um almost as if it was stuck on you might be the most truck driver i've ever seen yeah i get that a lot um (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm going to drive out west to find my fortune in California. <laughs> I'm going to pan for gold. It's uh, <laughs> like a little. A prospector. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I don't know how the truck driver became a prospector, but that's where we are now. What's well, well, Twin Peaks? Anything can happen, but it's a magical place. It is. And across the counter, Agent Cooper is finding love, Duncan. Yeah, he's he's kind of he's being cut. He's just sitting there. He's just taking a load off. Heavy as the head that bears the crown. He is now sheriff, or like 
you know, stand-in sheriff for the whole Twin Peaks town, and he's, he's getting a bit of him time. And um, he needs some coffee, and the lovely Annie pours him some coffee, and there's a spark. There yep. is a spark. We see it. We're like, oh, just get married and have babies, Coop. Um, because that's and what we're like. Like a couple of women on The View. We are. Uh, we're just like, yeah. Agent Cooper, you should be married now. Get married. You two should get married. Oh, my God. Your babies would be the cutest. So cute. Um, <laughs> But Super Sleuth Agent Cooper uh, notices a couple of things in this scene. One, he's, he's, he's observant. He's very observant. Well, yeah, he's a super sleuth. And uh, he notices that Annie has uh, marks on her wrists that suggest that uh, perhaps back in the day she uh, she tried to commit uh, a little bit of the suicide, Duncan. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. Remember, kids, get help. Um, yeah, but, but Coop's here to help now. Yeah, there's a scene Nothing later. Nothing bad will come out of their love boat. This Ow. is a statement I'm declaring right now on this show. I am confident, 100% confident. This is a Duncan guarantee or your money. No, I'm not going that far. Uh, this is a Duncan guarantee. Everything's going to work out, work out fine for these crazy kids. Yeah, everything's cool, baby. Everything's cool. <laughs> Good use of the word baby. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the other thing he notices is that there was once a prospector-talking truck driver uh, that is no longer there, and he kind of gives it that, hey, was that? Nah. Um, So it's one of the few moments where it's like, Super Sleuth, Agent Cooper, you know, uh, you're right across the way from Wendell Merle right there. Um, Master of Disguise, Wendell Merle, I think is what we're calling him from now on. He's that good. He's that good. He is that good. Uh, so before Deputy Cooper can pursue this line of thought any further, or Agent Cooper, Sheriff Cooper. Well, he is technically Deputy Cooper. He's not in the yeah. FBI at the moment, so you were spot on there, bro. Until um, I corrected myself, and then I did it incorrectly. Um, yeah, and then, and then you lost my respect. <laughs> you know, it, it's weird if anyone tells me they respect me. It just yeah, doesn't feel natural. I actually feel less respect for that person for them saying that. <laughs> yeah, it's the old Groucho Marx thing of I don't want to be part of any club that would have me as a member. Have me. Yeah. Um, Groucho Marx, man. That uh, guy. One of the funniest human beings that ever lived. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so he gets interrupted by, uh, Agent Cooper does, by Deputy Hawk. He's like, hey, Agent Cooper, we got some shit going down at the bookhouse. And so they spring into action. And what's going on is that uh, Sheriff Truman, in the height of Sheriff Truman drunkenness, has torn the place apart and now has a gun as well as a bottle of booze. The what the the funny situation that has arose out of this one is in classic drunk style. Um, what he was looking for was his gun and his bottle of booze, which were already in his hands. Yeah. <laughs> he's just tearing things apart, looking for things that were already in his hands. It was crazy, but he's drunk. It's yeah. fine. We put it back together. I, everybody laughs about it, you know, a, a week later. Um, yeah. Not while it's happening, though. <laughs> no, because while it's happening, a guy with a gun is like, 
you know who I hate? All of you. And I got this gun, and I point, and boom, boom, somebody's bleeding. <laughs> he does. He asks them if anyone has seen the deer hunter, and everyone's assholes tighten just a little bit, just a little bit. And so Agent Cooper naturally has to talk him down, uh, yeah. and because he was the one who also kind of ramped him up with the whole. He's the one that basically said, "You fucked a whore. She's an assassin whore." Yeah. How do you feel <laughs> about the feel fact sorry for her. that we? we watched your assassin whore girlfriend die in front of us both and <laughs> become uh, a bit of the furniture. Yeah. And become a part of the furniture. How's that feel? How's that taste? Sheriff Truman. He's like, it's not good. Stop it. And finally, agent Cooper's like, you know, you got so much to live for. She was a whore. Uh, and, <laughs> And and finally, uh, Sheriff Truman hands over his gun, and they uh, give each other the manliest of manly hugs. Oh, I want this hug. Um, where uh, the two men like it's it's just a good old fashioned. We're here for you, Harry. Um, which is good, you know. Like we hit bottom, uh, everything's cool, and but I, I like the fact uh, that Hawk is like, man. I've never seen him this drunk. This is really something special. Mm. Um, and I think it's Agent Cooper who has the really good line, a man who doesn't love easily loves too much. And That's right. It's a really nice sentiment. So, uh, But yeah, they're just like, yeah, he's fucked up. So just keep an eye on him. Make sure he doesn't do anything stupid. Let him sleep it off. But it seems like maybe we're on the winning side of this, which yeah. on episode is exactly how long drunk Harry should be around. Yes, I, I agree. I agree, and it's it's this big, powerful moment in the scene, which I think probably should be the last scene of this episode. But no, that's not how Twin Peaks rolls. We will go to something which is in stark contrast to the kind of seriousness of this scene. We're going to go to Mister and Missus Hinkman. Now, I know what you're thinking, Bo. The Hinkmans. Are they new characters? I am not aware of the Hinkmans in Twin Peaks. When did the Hinkmans arrive in Twin Peaks? And why are they at the Great Northern right now? And I think I'm going to call shenanigans on the Hinkmans. I don't think that's a real name, Bo. Duncan, you would be incredibly correct about that. Um, much like Wyndham Earl, there are other <laughs> masters of disguise afoot in Twin Peaks. Yeah, some people go for fake moustaches, dyeing their hair a different colour, whole outfits and fake you know, tattoos. Other people put on fedoras and glasses. I really like the fact that Nadine puts on sunglasses, mm -hmm. yet the patch is still clearly visible. Completely visible. Yeah. And, it's hilarious. And she coma hogs the bell on the counter of the Great Northern. Uh, yeah, she almost destroys the counter. Yeah. It, like, the, the whole deal is, you know, they're, Mike is now on board. He is no longer well because he he's been victimized enough that he he has uh, he has what they call it that uh, Stendhal syndrome, <laughs> where every he's, episode Stockholm syndrome, <laughs> or Stockholm syndrome every episode. Yeah, he's got that and uh, is starting to think that like you know maybe Nadine isn't the worst thing that could happen to him because let's face it, he's getting laid a bunch probably. Um, Just a bet. You're right, she's... <laughs> hey, Mike! 
sunset. Goes, <laughs> you know you want that, I can feel it. You know all that face fucking we've been doing! <laughs> we should do it everywhere! Not just the face! There are other places! That one! And so Mike is now uh, on board, and they're booking a room in shitty uh, disguises, and they see a couple of girls uh, who notice Mike um, because his, his disguise is, you know, naturally real shitty. And uh, they're just like, hey, Mike, what are you doing here? And he's like, totally not having sex with this weird older lady. And she's like, we're having sex! In different places! She's like the old woman from uh, Kingpin. She's like... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So... (laughs) So that's going down. And meanwhile, uh, in the Great Northern, there is uh, the... Finally, the Stop Ghostwood uh, event uh, to, you know, save the... uh, Horse, ferret, pine, nuts. Yeah. Another thing that I'm going to say that I'm quite glad that they wrap up in this episode. Yeah. Thankfully. Thankfully. Get this scene to fuck. <laughs> and, all right. So, like, it's a bunch of runway shit, and everybody in town seems to be uh, participating. You know, Deputy Andy is there. Lucy is there. Um, and,. And we get a, a moment between Ben Horn and See You Next Tuesday, uh, Catherine Martell. And uh, it really seems like Ben Horn is perhaps legitimately trying to turn over a new leaf. Uh, and Catherine Martell, See You Next Tuesday, Catherine Martell, uh, of course, is like, you are full of shit. And he's like, no, seriously, I am. I really want to be a better person. And she's like, all right, well, this seems real dumb. And, you know, he's like, it, it's kind of a nice Ben Horn moment. Like, you, you kind of want to believe him at this moment uh, that he is trying to be the kind of person that actually believes the shit he's saying. Yeah. And, uh, and anyway, so it's, you know. It's fine. This whole scene's fine. Um, and then they bring a live pine rat into uh, the room. <laughs> ferret, bro. Ferret. Uh, pine ferret weasel. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the stuffed animal that it eventually becomes uh, goes all crazy and starts attacking people and whatnot. And specifically Dick Trevane, which is, you know... That's never a bad thing, Duncan. Mm -hmm. And so the crowd goes nuts because now there's a guy running around with a ferret stuck to his face, uh, which is all, you know, again, it's fine. It's pretty funny, but it's also incredibly silly. And uh, meanwhile, Billy uh, Zane catches Audrey when she uh, is about to take a tumble. And he's like, I'm going to kiss you now. And they do, and she, uh, and they both seem very, very happy. Mm. Um, so 
then we uh, we come to a uh, the book house once more, where someone is watching over Harry, but not doing too great a job of it, because our uh, our Lady Jones has snuck in and and whomps him on the head, what knocks him out, and then she uh, she disrobes and slips into bed with a uh an unconscious harry yeah and things look steamy duncan mm-hmm. there's gonna be a hot time in the old bed tonight <laughs> so so while you were while you were uh finishing out that that part of the synopsis i wanted to find out if we knew whether or not the show had been cancelled at this point and I, I couldn't find that. However, what I did find was a little bit of trivia, though. All right, let's hear it. So this is the first episode of the show to air after Twin Peaks' abrupt removal from the ABC schedule six weeks before. And the COOP, so I don't know what that means, uh, made a big effort to save the show. Twin Peaks was returned to its first season Thursday night slot in an effort to save the show, and while its ratings did go up slightly, it wasn't enough. So there you go. So we still don't know whether it was cancelled or not, but they removed it from its, I believe it was on a Saturday, and they removed it from Saturday and moved it back to Thursday to essentially save it, um, and that did not, did not both really happen. So there you go. Hmm. Well, that is, uh, uh, that's a shame, but also not totally surprising given what we've been seeing lately. Yeah, the weasels, uh, kind of are silly. Right, like, if if the show that boasted, you know, the Who Killed Laura Palmer craze, um, you know, I mean, and it's unfair because I think a lot of people's perception of what Twin Peaks was isn't really what Twin Peaks was. Yeah, but still, like for it to be such a a national obsession, and then you know to hear like, okay, people are you know struggling to save Twin Peaks, and you're that person that's like, you know what, I didn't stick with it. Uh, I missed a few episodes, but you know what, if people are, uh, are 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 singing its praises, let me give this another day in court. And you come back to the Weasel episode, yeah, and you're Check like, right yeah, I Check don't right care. Um, it's, it's not enough. It's not enough. I I think yeah. The I think the writing was on the wall. But but Bo, um, it's not on the wall for us because we nope. we have a couple of episodes still left to discuss before we can move on to movies and new seasons and books and all the rest. And um, that leads us very nicely on to the next episode, which I believe is called "On the Wings of Love." On the wings of love. Thank you very much, boy. We tear my there um, and a bulge in my trousers. Um, so, so this one kicks off right where the previous one finished. Thank God for continuity. Yep, uh, it's uh, almost like they shot all of this at the same time. It is almost like that. So uh, Truman is still kind of in a drunken, passed out state, um, and we obviously we, the, the camera is like kind of panning over the room. And uh, Jones um, is looking all sultry and sexy, and she removes from her garter belt 
this small, it looks like perfume at first, but she takes some of the liquid and dabs it on Truman's lips before dabbing it on her own. And then we're like, oh, this is getting a little bit kinky, isn't it? A little bit kinky here. And, and Harry opens his eyes and, my God, it's, it's a vision. It's an apparition. It's the return of a character once thought furniturized. It's Josie Packard. And she says, Oh, that, that, like, ski, ski, ski. <laughs> Does it say ski, 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 but no. I'm pretty sure she did. She doesn't. I don't want to hear that. I want to clean oh. my ears out now. Harry. Ski, ski, ski. <laughs> you just said it in your voice right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a whispery. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, we're like, what the fuck is going on here? Is Harry still drunk? Has he been poisoned? Is that a hallucinogen? And then out of absolutely no fucking where, um, Jones pulls a garrote from, I'm going to assume, our lady garden, uh, because there was no one else that I was getting kept. Um, her lady garden. Her vagina. Gina. Gina. Chinese vagina. Gina. Um, pulls out this garrote and tries to kill Harry. It's funny how near death will spring your senses back to this razor sharpness um, and out of nowhere like Harry's like this woman is trying to kill me let me defend myself thumbs go up to protect him and there's a bit of a tussle and he knocks her out and then realises it's a woman that he's hit and for a second he seems a bit like shocked he's done that but I'm just going to say Harry if a woman tries to kill you with a garrote it is okay to punch that bitch out that's all I'm saying Yeah. no, no one will she judge is... you here she is what we call in the uh, law enforcement industry, Duncan, asking for it. She is, yeah. She she's a, a crazy bitch. Um, is is what they call them over here. Hmm. Um, it's amazing. We, <laughs> you guys have such a poetic tongue. We do indeed. Um, and our uh, our dirty wee midden that would work. Yeah, uh, that would work. That, oh. that would work. <laughs> you know what I'm uh, <laughs> revving the engines. Uh, so yeah, from there we go to. Has there been a sweater that's looked as cool as this bow? Now I know that me and you do like a little bit of the comfy sweaterness in Rawhead Rex. Oh it does look God, really comfy. yeah. Does. I'm just gonna say, very few people on the planet, me, one person on the planet, could pull off John Justice Wheeler's woolen jumper which is stripy colors that just don't go together um and it makes him somehow look about 10 years younger it makes um, him look like a candy corn yeah. <laughs> is what it makes him look like <laughs> oh, just put, put me put... in your mouth <laughs> what's worse about this scene is his trousers are so high up like the belt is basically under his nipples um is the weirdest ensemble ever. Uh, and he looks like he could play football in 1917. Oh, God, yeah. Like a stunt double from Varsity Blues. Um, you know, he's, he's there doing, like, whatever John Justice Wheeler does. Uh, and then there's a chap at the door, and the door opens, and it's Audrey, and she meanders into the room. Love that word, meander. Never use that enough. Um, she meanders into the room with some breakfast, um, and they two have a little bit of the flirty flirt um, but turns out that Billy Zane even when he's doing the flirty flirt 
still comes out <clears throat> creepy. Yeah. Well, it because at one point, you know, she comes in, she's being all flirty and flirty, as you said, and he's like, "Next time you come in here, you better be ready to back up what you're selling." And she's like, who's to say I'm not ready? Yeah. Who is to say? <laughs> <laughs> Says that while grabbing a strand in her hair and like inhaling. Right. <sighs> and, then, <laughs> and, and then he's like, I want you to fly somewhere with me. And I'm not going to tell you where. I just want you to say yes or no. And she's like, um, yes. That's what I thought. <laughs> and yeah, it, I mean, it is just nothing but creepiness. Wall to wall, Billy Zane creepiness. It's maybe my new favorite character. <laughs> maybe my new favorite character. Billy Zane, oh, honestly. Um... So we leave that scene because not a lot's happening in that scene. Um, oh, you just couldn't see it. Yeah, we just couldn't see the it. The camera was want... a little high. <laughs> you didn't want to see it. Um, and we travel back to the sheriff's station and Bo, wouldn't you know, someone finally sobered up. Well, yeah, like you said, fending off a murderous Amazon will do that to you. And but Harry is not doing super well. He is hung over the fuck. <laughs> very much so. And uh they have achieved a new uh bonsai tree. Uh that yes. was a gift from Josie. Oh, there's bonsai. And <laughs> which is weird because bonsai trees are Japanese and Twin Peaks did, didn't make a faux pas there. Didn't make a faux pas because we all know that Josie is from China. China. Um, China. Um, so, yeah, I love, that. I love this because Harry's like horribly hungover and Agent Cooper begins to tell him the the perfect way to cure your hangover, which just sounds like, like a gross smoothie, um, which we find that is Cooper's plan all along is to make him go and throw up, which he duly does. Um and I love this as well. He's they're trying to work out why Jones tries to kill him, and Cooper's answer so confidently stated is sexual jealousy. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, as much as anything, anything, Bo, anything would make sense. But anything said by a character would make sense because the story isn't telling us anything. We need an answer. Give me the answer, Bo. <laughs> why wouldn't someone think of the children? Um. Fortunately, but, in this episode, or in this yeah. very scene, the cavalry is a-coming, Duncan. Mm. Hey! <laughs> Guess who's back? Oh, one of the greatest returns of a character in modern history. Um, Gordon Cole, played by our good buddy David Lynch, who had finished, I would imagine, at this point, his duties with Wild at Heart, um, rejoins Twin Peaks for his uh, return cameo. Um, it's a shame that he did not return behind the fucking camera, which is what this show desperately needs. He instead comes back as a goofy FBI agent. Exactly. 
and he he drops some legitimate information here. Like we learned that he was taking hyperparadol. Um, <laughs> also, Which I find that is the same thing that Mike was taking. You know, remember Mike, the, the guy with the one arm. I do remember Mike, and uh, yeah, and uh, he also uh, was kind of confirming what Agent Cooper has always assumed, which is Wyndham Earl was faking his psychosis and part of his plan to do so was to take some drugs that would help induce like truly convincing psychotic behavior. And, uh, uh, and actually, uh, deputy agent Cole refers to it as definite schizoid behavior, (laughs) which which, I mean, all this is great because we're getting some inside information. There's now a Wyndham Earl file about to be discussed in this scene. And you know what, Bo? We have an advantage here because Wyndham Earl, he's not there. He doesn't know what they're discussing. Maybe we finally have, maybe Wyndham Earl has finally put a foot wrong and underestimated the oh. ability of the FBI. Duncan, you would be so wrong as to be stupid and laughable. I, 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 feel, I feel that people should laugh at me and call me stupid. So, Wyndham Earl has snuck a bug into the office via bonsai tree. Yeah, because it's not from Jussie at all. Nope, it's... it's Wyndham Earl. It is indeed, and... Which would make sense for the cultural faux pas, because bonsai trees are Japanese, not Chinese. What Wyndham Earl has not counted on, though, Duncan, is the sheer power of coal. Yeah, the sheer volume of coal. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's, oh man, it's the best. Like it's it's such a Twin Peaks only joke. Like only this show could really, I think, pull this this gag off. It's that brilliant. Agent Cole, like, which is a character that got set up a million years ago, um, <laughs> as as being hard of hearing and super loud. You just pay off this the whole bug thing with oh he's so loud Wyndham Earl can't listen in yeah it's, oh. it's absolutely brilliant but what we get is we get this file that's passed over between the two of them and we find out a really interesting bit of information because it turns out that when Wyndham Earl was a, a youngin with a bureau he was loaned out to the Air Force Project Blue years. Book Project Blue Book which we have heard before we've heard it talked about by the Major it was the investigation that they did into um, F, uh, the investigation they did to UFOs um, back after Roswell and Wyndham Earl was involved with it and this seems in um, Coop's opinion to be a little bit of a coincidence a wee coinky dink as he caught um, because this is the second time he's heard this in the last couple of days um, and the attention of two people that were involved with this project seems to be focused at Twin Peaks um, and I love it. It's like he, he says, uh, there are some curious linkages here, um, to which Cole, like, because uh, the, the word linkage makes me think of sausage, uh, but I never really cared of links. I always preferred the patties, which is just like... It's the best. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. And then he, he goes, but breakfast is a real good idea. Um, and it's time, it's time for us to go to breakfast, but... Not before, Bo. An important rite of passage happens. It's time to get rid of the plaid. 
Yeah, and also, yeah, casual kip in the bed. It's uh, he's uh, the way he puts his time to slip back into the black suit, Coop. (laughs) And because he's reinstated, he's got a new gun. They trade the best thumbs up that have ever happened. I love the thumbs up. Oh, which man. is inherently what they do to each other. That's kind of like part of their greetings whenever they're on screen together. They do these huge thumb up things, uh, which is which is kind of good. But now, Bo, while they're off to, to have breakfast on Cole, Cole's buying breakfast, um, we need to see what's happening on the other side of the bonsai tree. On the other side of the bonsai tree. That was a big hit in 1953. It's a fantastic song. I remember it's... it very well. What people don't remember all that much, so Bo, is the B side, which is "Don't Piss in My Hush Puppies." Oh, um, you're right. Very few people remember it, but it was one of the first Calypso songs I ever fell in love with. It's the steel drum playing on it is nothing short of majestic and virtuoso. I heard they used actual whale testicles for the drums. Yeah, I, I to believe they that did. Sound. Well, it was the demands of Papatino Papapa, uh, the the fantastic steel drum player from Uruguay, who who demanded it. What was his name? Papatino Papapa. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, which yeah. is very uh, the, the reason the reason um, he was such a gifted steel drum player is that the actual pronunciation and rhythm of his name was the technique he used and developed for playing steel drums. Right, and he's just Papapino Papapa Papapino Papapa. Uh, Exactly. It was in there all along from his name. It was almost as if his parents knew when he was born he would go on to great things. Like even the womb, they could feel his his tiny fetal fists banging out a rhythm. And yeah, instead of a baby kicking, this one just played cashmere by Zeppelin. Oh my could you imagine? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Oh uh, my god, yeah. So all that happened, legitimately true, 100%. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, alright, so Wyndham Earl and Leo Stein are hanging out. Um, and Wyndham, what I love about Wyndham Earl is he really is a jack of all trades. He's a really, he's a sort of guy that if you weren't trapped in a cabin with, at his mercy, because you're wearing an electrified collar, um, he'd be the sort of guy you'd want to hang around with. He's fun, he's quirky, he's always doing something a bit different, he's always telling you stories, yeah. he's always unveiling master plans, and turns out he's a bit of a magician with the, the old cards, and he has all the cards in his hand banned out, and he tells he tells Leo Stein to pick three cards, which he duly does, and he turns them over, it turns out they're three queens, but... Their faces are replaced by our three women that he has an interest in. None other than Donna and Audrey and Shelley. And then he makes them pick another card. And guess what? That other card is a king card. And who is the king card? Well, it is none other than the coop. Then he manages to somehow produce another queen card, the queen of hearts, which is missing a face. Because this is the sacrifice that he's going to commit. And then he produces another card from behind his ear, which is a Joker card. And we see that his plan is to get involved with this pageant, which is happening in the backdrop now as a kind of backstory. He's going to, he's going to try and see if he can pit them against each other. And whoever wins uh, will be executed by Wyndham Earl in front of Agent Cooper. It's a devious, devious plan. The sort of plan that only a madman could come up with. Um, 
and yeah, it's it, I, I like this scene. I like this scene. It's, it, but like I say, it's this weird thing about these two guys stuck in a cabin. And I remember how far Leo has come as a character. Uh, to see where he's ended up, I do kind of feel a little bit sorry for him. A little bit, but also Leo is a terrible person. Yeah. Uh, and him being the lapdog of Wyndham Earl is about as good as he was ever going to have it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, he he never had the brains to actually run anything. So he was always going to be a middleman who had dreams of, you know, delusions of grandeur, as they say, uh, and would have been killed that way. I, I can tell you, I like, I got whole, all kinds of backstories, all kind of alternate timelines of the Leo Johnson story. And none of them end with him like happy and healthy at fifty. <laughs> so. Uh, oh. so yeah, this scene is just basically once again to keep us aware that he's still interested in these three women. There is going to be a death. He's going to be behind it, and he's. This is the Queen of Hearts he's talking about. Is the Queen that we're protecting as a character uh, right now on the chessboard, um, like Coop said to uh, Pete in the previous scene. So yeah, uh, from there I believe it's the Great Northern next ball. Uh, it is indeed, Duncan, because we have a couple of late checkouts, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Because uh, Mike and Nadine are uh, are are about to head out of the great northern and uh it, it's actually a pretty funny moment where the uh, guy behind the counter is like hey was everything okay and mike's response is unbelievable <laughs> so he had a good time he learned some things mm-hmm. uh probably a Quite lot about worldly. himself mm-hmm. um yeah so mike is uh now fully into being with Nadine, I almost said fully into Nadine. Get in there! <laughs> I can still see laces. <laughs> Wiggle. Oh uh, my god, that's terrible. <laughs> it's like it's like the it's it's like I I and some weird like alternative reality. Um, like Nadine is like 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 a sex guru. And that's how she lost sight in the eye. Is they they were they were playing around with the angry pirate, which you never play around with as a sexual maneuver, um, for obvious reasons because you can lose sight in your eye. But they were playing around with the angry pirate, and um, it, it backfired, and that's how she lost the use of the eye. That a shame. You know how they say, "Don't masturbate or you'll go blind." It turns out if you face fuck a bunch, you go blind in just the one. Yeah, just just like, it was a weird position we were doing, it and the testicles just slapped one eye, just constantly all the way through it, and it disconnected the retina. Uh, it's quite a, quite a nasty one to get. Uh, it's ironic because it I can't see three D, but that was the most three D shit you ever saw. <laughs> so they're checking out <laughs> um, after after a night of we don't know. Um, we know happy, and that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Um, and meanwhile, Donna's there. Welcome, welcome back to another episode where Donna actually has stuff to do. Yeah, it's um, surprisingly interesting. It, 
it's a rarity. Um, it's almost as if they knew that they had been mistreating her and they were trying in some sort of vain attempt to keep her interested so she would not be horribly miscast in a movie coming up soon. Um, so, uh, yeah, so she isn't just at the Great Northern for any reason, though, Bo. She's being a detective. Well, she wants to get to the bottom of the business with Ben Horn showing up and, uh, you know, kind of being all sexy, sexy with her mom. Or at least, again, intimate in a way that it would not be expected. Yeah. And so she asks Audrey, like, hey, is there any reason? Because her mother has shown up at the Great Northern as well and her, uh, her, her rascal. And it's not a rascal. It's just an electric wheelchair. No reason to make fun of that. Um, <laughs> so she shows up and is going to meet uh, Ben Horn. And Donna's like, the fuck is going on with these people? Like the rest of us. And uh, goes to Audrey and is like, hey, do you know of any reason why my mom would be talking to your dad? And she's like, I don't know. And, and Donna is like, if only there was some way that we could listen in. If to- only there was a passage between the walls someone knew about that we could listen to your dad's office if only that existed if only we'd seen this before if only and it turns out that's totally what audrey does is she takes uh donna into the walls um which by the way is probably a mid-90s porn um Uh, donna into the walls yeah yeah. it's it's, it's a good one it's a bit cheesy they 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 play the story out a bit too long i mean it's a good 35 minutes before you see a nipple um and that's because we're really going for the artistic sort of the vision um the the 25 minute cha-cha-cha scene at the beginning is slightly off putting, but once we once we get into the the sex scenes are actually really well choreographed so yeah I, you know i'm a softcore fan i am uh you are it's always been said that it's all in fact anyone that's anyone that knows bone knows that he, <laughs> right. he, he does enjoy a bit of softcore porn i like my porn like i like my eggs soft soft um. <laughs> likes it likes it like he likes his bread soft uh, he likes it like he likes his his criminals and interrogation chambers soft and weak. Uh-huh. Um, I know, Bob. Um, but like I like, yeah, I they... like my putty. <laughs> Silly, is that what, yeah? Yeah. That's, um, so, <laughs> so, uh, so um, yeah, there's not a whole hell of a lot comes out of this scene except that Donna's mother's arrived with a bunch of letters which were written 20 years ago, and it would appear these letters maybe were written by Ben um, to Donna's mum because he may have been in love with her back then. Maybe. Maybe we'll get more information on this later on. But at the, at the time being just now, we're not getting any of that information. Um, we get the, like, you know, we haven't talked like that since that night. Yeah. So we know that much. But, um, yeah, it's all just more set up for what the um what the with with ben and donna's mom um it's a talk Um, show that'll air before (laughs) coop and hawk and and major wood yeah major Uh, wood (laughs) so we 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 skip away from this scene really quickly which to be honest with you i'm quite happy about at the moment um and we head to the double r and it's breakfast time and I, I love this line. Some of the lines are amazing in this. Um, Gordon Cole is in the mood for a steak so rare you could sell it at Tiffin's. 
Which yeah. is just a great line. It's a yeah. great line. Kind of love it. Kind of love it. So they're there and Gordon Cole is being very loud. And as he looks over, his eyes settle on one Shelley Johnson. And at last my love has come along. I, he's, he's, oh. One I love in this scene, like as he's about to go make his pass uh, at, at one Shelley Johnson is he gives Cooper like a shake of the hand mm-hmm. and is like, Hey, I'm going to go engage in a little counter Esperando. <laughs> and then he just lays it on, man. It's kind of fun to see David Lynch hitting on somebody. I, I kind of is. I, I kind of want to think this is how David Lynch hits on people. Well, and he'll, all right, one more and then I'll, I'll stop. Because he's like, uh, she's like, are you coming on to me? He's like, I'm going to tell you an anecdote of no small amusement. That's <laughs> so good. There's, the, the, this scene up here has potentially one of my favorite lines in Twin Peaks history, which is, he says, will you please ask the lady with the log to speak up? Um, which is just <laughs> fucking great. It's just fucking, it just reminds it's the most me of Twin Peaks shows. Ah, oh, it's just a ludicrous line, but in the world of Twin Peaks, it makes sense. So he's hitting on Shelley, and he realizes something really, really quickly is that for some reason, Bo, he does not need his hearing aid when speaking to Shelley. He hears her fine. Yeah, it's a bizarre detail, and it's kind of wonderful. But I, I love the fact that like there's just one person for some reason that he you know it, it cuts through whatever his hearing problem is mm-hmm. uh it's pretty great and Which, there's more flirting and then the request for massive massive quantities of pie a glass of water sweetheart because my socks are on fire <laughs> <laughs> oh david lynch i love you i know it just sometimes it just gets it right yeah, it just gets it perfect. So glad he's back. Love this character. Um, where to next, Duncan? Um, well, there's not there's not enough flirting in this scene, Bo. Uh, we need some more flirty flirt, and um, Annie comes across to um comes across to Coop, who's sitting with uh, Sheriff Truman, and they start doing a little bit of the the flirty flirty. Um, like a lot of flirty flirty here and whilst they're having this kind of this chat amongst themselves and Annie looks over and says well, that kind of looks like Owl Cave and Coop's like alright well, that's really interesting and then Harry actually looks at it and says no that looks identical to a symbol in Owl Cave and Agent Coop says Harry we need to go to this Owl Cave which will play a prominent part here. What comes out of this scene is that Cooper is schmitten. Uh, schmitten um, well, because he, Annie, yeah, he tells a joke. And that's the, yeah. that's how Harry knows you are that is, a smitten kitten. Yeah. Um, it's not a very good joke. It involves penguins. Um, it says two penguins are walking across an iceberg. One penguin turns to the second penguin and says, you look like you're wearing a tuxedo. The second penguin says, maybe I am. 
Yeah, and the joke is interrupted as well. Yeah. Which makes it even worse. Yeah. And it, uh yeah. Bad. It it really is, but it's it's kind of charming how proud he is of telling this joke. And and Harry, of course, pointing out like, you know, it, the way he puts it is how long have you been in love with her? And you're like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. Let's pump that's the brakes. It's like that's a coop line though. It's what Coop said to to him back when he first met Josie Packard, which I love. Right. It's like the shoes on the other foot. Now, how do you like it, Agent Coop? Now, Bo, yes. I think we need to take a couple of seconds here. And um, at this small intermission of seconds, we need to acknowledge that a character that has meant a lot to you and a character that has meant a lot to me, um, one that I would say is a cornerstone of what we do here on Duncan and Bo, to Twin Peaks is no longer with us. He is travelling the earth um, much like uh, Kung Fu the Legend continues um, and much like Carradine uh, travelling the earth um, he's experiencing lots of different adventures and journeys. I'm speaking about James. James is no longer with us in this show. He's away travelling and I miss him. I, there, I feel like there's a hole in my heart which can only be filled with some James. And this is the closest we're going to get to it because the next scene finds Donna sitting on some steps with a postcard. Postcard sent by James. And we get a voiceover over the top of it, which I believe is done in James's voice, which kind of makes me miss the guy. Um, can you remember what the gist of this postcard is and how it sounds in James's voice? Hi, Donna. You don't look like Laura. My name is James. I have a motorcycle. I am on it. <laughs> bye bye. It's pretty accurate. Um, he says that he is the best thing that happened was the suggestion for him to go traveling. He has been to Seattle. Next stop is Mexico, which is a bad idea. And Mexico is far away from Seattle, James. Like I don't know if you know geography. Um, well, I know you're American, which means you don't have to. But like Seattle and Mexico are not side by side. There's a hell of distance between the, the, the two of them. Um, but he basically promises that when he comes back, he will come back with lots of stories. Yeah. Which seems like a fair trade. I I mean, whatever it takes to keep him gone. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what you do. Um, fortunately, there's no forwarding address, so you don't feel obligated to write him back or anything. So, you know, it's really the perfect scenario for Donna. And uh, her dad rolls in. Yeah, and he's just like, hey, Donna's that postcard there from James. James, that lucky boy out there traveling the world. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, how does dad know my mum? <laughs> and he's like, <clears throat> is that the time? Oh, it's dinner time. Let's go and, uh, what's, what's that? Project Blue Book, Aliens, uh, Coop, uh, what's the Owl Cave? Owl Cave. The owls are not what they seem. The owls are not what they seem. Um, yeah, it keeps going on about some goddamn fundraiser. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know she told me this morning, I think I yeah. said, I, in fact, I heard someone else say it just now. That's right. The, on these stairs me? that there was a fundraiser happening. So I said, we, that's where she is. Yeah. Have you, have you ever changing the subject for no reason at all? Have you ever heard the beast, the B side to Donna between the walls? It's called Don't Piss in My Hus Puppies. 
Um, it has a great steel drum solo in the in the middle. You should totally check that out. Let's let's end this scene. Can we end this scene and move on? Uh, anyone, David? Go on. Uh, <laughs> um, and then we switch to the library, and just like wrapping out the trifecta of phenomenal costumes. Um, <laughs> right, it like, is just everyone's molesty professor from college. Yeah, it's like a cross between Sigmund Freud and Albert Einstein just appears here. Um, <laughs> With the worst beard all, ever. <laughs> like, all professors look like this. Uh, so at the library, um, Audrey is doing a little bit of, doing a little bit of research and she bumps into this kind of old college pro- uh, <laughs> professor who has props, Bo. His props are a pair of round glasses and a pipe, which isn't lit. Uh, but it's in his mouth. It, yeah, it is. Scene. Like, he basically said, give me the James Lipton from the actor's studio. <laughs> and that's what they did. Um, uh, but So, the, the, she's reading a bit of a poem. Uh, she gets towards the end, and the, he finishes it for her because, of course, he's Wendell Merrill. He knows everything about everything. He's a walking Google. Um and the poem in particular, the reading, is the poem that was? Oh, well, of course, it was the one that was split into uh, Twain, or yes. Thrain, I Thrain. guess, Thrain, Thricely, Thricely Torn, Twicely Torn into Three Pieces, because yes. you would only have to do it twice. That's um, correct, well done. Most people <laughs> would say three, and they would be wrong. Right, right, I... I did well on my ACTs, Duncan. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I've torn paper up before. I know what I'm doing. That, the Lingoliers was based on me. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he's all like, poem, and you're a queen. Harumph. And but when, when, the, when the poem finishes, he says the words, Shelley. And she's like, okay, this is uh, quite interesting. Uh, that's that nice. Uh, who are you again? And he's like, ah, nah. It's written by the 19th century poet Percy Shelley. Um, however, Audrey, I think I think she's played in this scene that she sees through that shit because Audrey ain't no, she ain't no hollaback. Ain't no hollaback, girl. <laughs> I don't know what that even means, but I knew it was a song and I don't know what that means. You Americans have weird terms for things. Um, I'll give you an American one for what Audrey is. She's the kind of gal that'll tell you, I was born during the daytime, but it wasn't yesterday. Pretty awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Pretty awesome. I kind of love that. She sees right through this, right? She's just like, right, okay. That's kind of cool. Glad that you knew that poem, but I don't think you're being legit right now. This has been great. Um, I will let you go and take off whatever that is that's on your face, which is clearly not normal, natural, or real. Um, it's, it's one of them pine weasels. <laughs> Pabled off Dick Tremaine's face uh-huh. and put onto this guy's face. And then we jump back to... <laughs> It's a really good sound effect. Um, <laughs> it's really good. I love it. Uh, so we go back to the double R, and 
Annie's clearing up and she just happens to stumble across this Miss Twin Peaks flyer, you know what I'm saying, boy, and she's now thinking, wait one second, see if I enter this, the, the, you know, the world is my oyster. If I do, I'm not saying I am going to, but if I do, maybe I can. Um, and she has a conversation with Shelley and Shelley starts asking her, you know, interested in anyone, thinking about dating, she's like, no, and then they start talking about Dale Cooper and uh, Shelley's like, I don't know if you saw what I saw, but he is very much the Schmitten kitten. Um, and because you say that, Schmitten kitten. I, yeah, I'm adapting that as well. Yeah, oh, Schmitten kitten. Schmitten kitten. Um, and, they, and she's like, Really? I don't know. And he's like, Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, and she's like, Well, maybe I'll do something. Maybe. I don't know. Possibly. I'm not interested in dating. Well, I kind of am, but I'm not. Um, and yet we leave that scene alone. That scene is now left alone. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, kind of good riddance. Nothing really is going on there. Uh, that That's too much fun. Uh, speaking of stuff that we don't care about, Deputy Andy um, falls from the ceiling in a, uh, a spelunking rig um, that they're kind of testing out um, yeah. because they're going into uh, Scary Owl Cave. And uh so anyway that happens but the important stuff is that agent cooper uh goes to uh sheriff truman and is like harry we're about to go spelunking what up and harry is like i feel like shit uh i don't think uh spelunking is where i need to be right now and he and agent cooper is like no man look it's gonna be dark it's gonna be cold it's the perfect place for someone hungover and uh that seems to convince harry and so the gang is getting geared up to head into spooky owl cave that's uh, exactly what happens and i can't wait to see what's in that cable but unfortunately before that we've got to do a scene at the great northern where it's been horn you know Talking up uh, the the family business to Audrey and carrot in hand, carrot in hand, like he had the celery in the last episode. He has He's become a reformed, changed man. He yeah, he has become a, a shitty Bugs Bunny, <laughs> and <laughs> except instead of what's up, Doc, I'm asking who cares, Doc. Um, I know it's too easy. Reformed. So. Uh, but he's basically handing some responsibility to Audrey that she's got to, uh, fly out the, the next morning to do like some FaceTime with some potential investors or some shit. And, um, she's like, well, that sounds cool, but I was gonna do a thing. And then just like that, John Wesley Harding shows up <laughs> and he's like, what's going on in here? And I do, I do get, I enjoy this character more than I should. Um, and Audrey's like, I got to go because of nothing. And because they have their super secret plane trip planned. And so Audrey fucks off out of the scene. And uh, J. Jonah Jameson has a seat with Ben Horn. And Ben Horn's like, um, you know, what is your secret? How did you make it so far? Like, where did I go wrong? And um, <laughs> J. Joe Jameson is like, you got to tell the truth. 
always tell the hardest truth first. <laughs> ben Horn's like, that sounds great. I know. Here's a hard truth for you. I'm in love with your and he's like yeah and he just like talks over the top of him it doesn't kind of sink in properly yeah and we're like did you hear what he said this clearly sexual deviant this fucking ultimate sexual predator this fucking you know walking erection is in love with your precious little daughter in love with her and um, Ben Horn kind of overlooks it all, gives him a carrot, and they both cackle as they lean back in their chairs. And we move away from this scene because it is all too creepy. Thank all you for your implicit consent. <laughs> um, and we go to Owl Cave. Yep. Spooky Owl Cave. Sp- Spooky Owl Cave is the name of it. Um, and after a spelunking accident, because this is just a series of fucking Andy fuck-ups, this whole scene, it's like, you know you know what we've not had in a couple of episodes for a while? Is Andy doing things wrong. Let's do six in a row, back to back. So, Andy first falls down into the cave, because he can't con- disconnect himself properly from his, uh, his rope. Um, and they walk across, and they see the same design that Coop had on his, uh, his bit of paper that he drew on a wall and as they're looking at this, examining it, and at the very top it should be noted that there is a fire, fire burning bright at the top of it um, one of the worst CGI owls of all time decides that this is the time it wants to strike, so it flies around, they all do really well doing some Star Trek acting, pretending they're all looking at something that's not there Um and this owl keeps swooping at them, and Andy finally decides that he's going to swing a pickaxe at this owl. The owl is obviously much quicker than Andy with a pickaxe, and moves out of the way, and he connects with the wall, particularly in the fire. The wall starts to glow, um, and this shakes loose, loose a panel in the, the cave wall, which opens, and a rod starts to come out from it, and there is a petrograph on it. Um, and Kinda, kinda looks like a bird, maybe an owl if a kid was drawing it. Um, and Coop says, gentlemen, coincidence are a bait figure larger in our lives. I have no idea where this will lead, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. Yeah, it's a really great moment. Um... Amazing moment. No one else seems as excited as he is, though. Well, everyone else. Like, yay. Well, and and also, well, you know, Andy's half uh, half touched, um, uh, as we say here when we want to be polite. Um, and and Deputy Hogg probably rightfully is like, this is probably going to be bad, um, because he knows the dark things that live in the woods, and mm-hmm. yeah, Agent Cooper is just like he's curiosity is, is maybe his biggest flaw. Uh, and Sheriff Truman doesn't. Part of him does not give a shit about all the mystical stuff that's going on in Twin Peaks. Um, so anyway, and then uh, they like after they uh, you know reveal the petroglyph, 
Um, and the CGI owl flies out of the cave at the camera as if to say, like, could you be terrified by this crappy full motion video from 1990? Well, uh, this, is, this, is, this is the thing, though. They've been telling us all along that the elves are not what they seem. It's because they're digital and not real. Um, or I thought it was that they were they were supposed to be scary and then they're not. Could be that, could be that. It could be that Bob has went from being a truly menacing character to an awful, awful CGI elf. All right. Can we talk about the worst drink order ever? Right. So this isn't just me, right? I have never had this drink before, but when it was mentioned, it sounded like the vilest thing I have ever heard in my entire life. And I just wondered if it was maybe, like, there are certain drinks that are inherently American, um... I can think of a few of them off the top of my head, which I think when I think of America and I think of drinks, I think of things like the old fashioned. I think of things like the Manhattan, the Cosmopolitan, a rusty um, nail, a Greyhound. Yeah. Yeah. There are certain things that I just assume and associate with America. Um, So Annie's at the great Northern bar. She's kind of hoping to run into the coop. She goes up to the bar and decides that she's going to order herself a little drink, but she hasn't really ordered a drink before, and so she's a bit out of the loop. And the bartender, who's played by an actor I have seen in things before. Yeah, he's definitely... I, I, I'll i find his name here in a second. He's bit parts, generally. Right, that's the thing, is I gotta think of the, the other thing he was in to figure out what his name is. I want to say his character died horribly, so it's a movie that I'm aware of, where he's making fun of someone and person kills him but anyway come back to that so she's um so i don't i don't know what to drink and he recommends to her rum and she's like, oh yeah rum sounds nice and then she's like well what do i have it with and he says tonic water right because he is clearly just screwing with her yeah I, but I don't, like to me tonic water goes with gin you have a gin and tonic a gnt right that's it's a very refreshing drink, and it goes because the two of them are bitter drinks that, when combined together, create a bitter drink, which is actually surprisingly pleasant and a bit of a palate cleanser. I do love gin, right? Um, I felt the bile come up the back of my throat when he mentioned it in rum, because I was just like, what does that... It'll fucking taste horrible. It'll taste like carbonated fucking rum. I don't want to try that. That sounds awful. Uh, even puts a fucking cherry in it, which I think is the ultimate slap in the face. You know, look at it, there you go. Go and have your drink. I call this one the you're dumb as fuck. Um, and, but he says to her, this is on the house, which I I, I hope so. Yeah. Because <laughs> she nurses his drink because she hasn't tried it. And, but meanwhile, Agent Cooper comes in, cassette recorder in hand, because it has been so long since we had him speak to Diane. And we need that to continue going. So it's like, Diane, um, you know, just back from Spelunkin. I was about to, and he turns around and clocks eyes with the back of Annie's head. And he's like, I'm going to go across and speak to her. So they sit down and they have a bit of a heart to heart. And once again, while they're chatting and doing the flirty flirt, bro, uh, with, with Coop being a schmating Caden, he looks down and notices that she has this cut on her wrist again. And it's actually quite a nice, like, the, the previous... Like part of the conversation is all about how Annie sees everything with this new freshness of her eyes and everything's exciting and Cooper says he wishes he could be like that and I'm like that, no that is who you are Cooper, 
Like from the moment you've arrived here, everything has been wonderful and new and strange for you. So she is the perfect match for Agent Confirmed. She's the perfect match. Um, and they talk about failure, mistakes in the past, and Coop basically says to her, if you ever want to talk, I'm here for you. And she says, well, I don't want to do it right now. And it's a lovely little moment. Um, and we are almost at the end of this episode. We've flown through I, this. We have, and I want to pause for a couple of points here. One, right. the actor in question. Yeah. Oh, yes, the barman. Is named Jack McGee. Mm-hmm. He has been in everything. He's in the, that's what I said. He's been in everything. Uh, someone to watch over me. The Hidden. Uh, Scrooged. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2. Born on the 4th of July. Uh, the end of innocence, the doors, uh, backdraft, uh, basic instinct. Um, I think it's Lethal Weapon too. I'm thinking of. I think he like starts to. He's in both two and three. Two. He's he's a contractor in Lethal Weapon too. Yes, think. yes, yes. That's uh, what it is. That's how because he he's all laughing and joking and all the rest because they're trying to repair Roger's house. Yeah. It's all it was so long ago, but it's uh, all coming back to me. That that was terrible. Um, In oh, fairness, I'm not Celine fucking Dion, right? So let me let me off with. All right, I'm. Look, I uh, many times I have said to you, you're no Celine Dion. As and I'm actually surprised I had to say that. <laughs> yeah, that says that. Yeah. Apology Over accepted. Anything, stuff that like stuff that like doesn't even make sense and what that bo I couldn't reverse my car into that tight parking space and you're like, well, you're no fucking Celine Dion. Uh-huh. I'm like, touche bo. Right. <laughs> it's my go to at this point. <laughs> um also let's talk about the cult uniform that Agent Cooper is wearing in this scene. Yeah, what the fuck? He looks like it's, a Bond villain. <laughs> or that he's about to go on stage for a production of Hamlet. Uh, or Jim Carrey and Ed Wood. Yeah, um, it's it's really something. Um, it looks like he, he looks like a stunt double for someone that works in Spectre. He like if if he walked out of a space capsule into the Great Northern, that outfit is appropriate for both locations. Oh and yeah, I, he, he he turns around and sits down and goes, "Come, Mister Bigglesworth." Um, <laughs> It is a Dr. Evil jacket. (laughs) So, how are you, Annie? Um, (laughs) All I asked for was sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads, and evidently my cycloptic colleague has told me that this is not possible. I asked for one million dollars. Dun, 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 dun! I, I, I also like the idea of him being like, he gave you a rum and frickin' tonic. <laughs> yeah, no one acknowledges the vileness of this drink in this scene. Right. Um, like, she even tells Agent Cooper what she's drinking, and he doesn't immediately swat it off the bar like poison, which is yeah. the proper reaction. <laughs> like, throws it in the, the face of the bartender, whose face melts like, right. like a scene from The Fly. You, know, yeah. you ah! drink it! You drink it! <laughs> oh my god that's so good um, but yeah so um, final scene once, 
Yes, but that scene ultimately setting up this thing that, that there's going to be some sort of future romance between these two characters. There's a closeness starting to, to, to form. Then we go back to Ill Cave and Wyndham Earl, who has filmed Ill Cave, I'm assuming because he was following Coop earlier on, although we don't know because the show doesn't need to tell you that, um, is travelling around and right enough he sees the, the very same petroglyph, but he is smarter than other ones. He's like, this is pointing out the wall. Uh, weird. Wait a second. Let me turn around. And he sees the inverse of the petroglyph. So it's upside down. So he turns the symbol round. Uh, and everything starts to shake in. Um, and uh, we cut to credits. That's the end of the episode. Oh. Yeah. We we end with a cliffhanger, Duncan. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, again, you know, to parallel these characters that it's Wyndham Earl that discovers the the opposite of the symbol, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's it's cool. Like, you know, it's one of those endings where um, you do want to see what happens next, even though there's a real land of the lost quality to the cave shaking. Yeah. Uh, but it's still, it's fine. It's kind of fun and campy. This episode, and it's funny you mentioned it at the start, that this, this one is devoid of a lot of the regular cast it's like a really stripped back episode and it does focus on moving certain plot points forward um particularly the window mirror story which is now starting to pick up a bit of pace we have um you know billy zane's professed love for audrey horn and audrey horn becoming more involved with the family business and being sent to seattle which will play out in a storyline which makes no sense and you'll never see coming um and on the flip side, we have the, the Annie character kind of really starting to find her position in the show as the future love of, um, of Dale Cooper. And we know that Wyndham Arrow's master plan involves a beauty pageant. And everything's, everything sets up really well. When you look at it, the majority of the main cast are not in this episode at all. Um, and I think they had to do that to kind of refocus things to start moving the story on and that to me feels like a deliberate choice I think this is them kind of in some ways by doing what they do in this episode it actually turns out to be I think the reason we've skipped through it so quickly is because there isn't too much jumping between 10 different storylines in this one there's really only about three or four going on um, and they're all kind of in quick succession of each other um, and as such is probably one of the more conventional Twin Peaks episodes but I really enjoy this one actually this is this is us now hitting the the last couple of episodes of which I have quite a lot of time for and they all kind of kick off about this episode um, so yeah it, it is a bit goofy at times but it's Twin Peaks um, yeah. and yeah I, I kind of dig it and we stare down the barrel now of the final four episodes of season two. Oh yes, oh yes. So two more, two more episodes, listeners. Regular uh, season two episodes, original run, OG episodes, if you will. Um, so to close out the show, Duncan, we're going to do uh, a couple of final questions. Oh, go for it. All right. So uh, Rob and Jason asked very similar questions, so we're going to uh, conflate these. Uh, Rob uh, asked us, is Josie Ghostwood? And Jason asked us, if you could be trapped as any part of any piece of furniture, what would it be? Uh, take those in whatever order you would like, Duncan. Um, ooh, um, I'm going to say that 
Josie is not Ghostwood, although that in itself sounds amazing considering there is Ghostwood in this. Um, like they don't flesh this out at all. It makes no fucking sense. Like the Josie story makes no sense at all. And as you all know, ladies and gents, um, like season two got cancelled shortly after this. So whatever they had planned beyond this never reaches full fruition at all. So. Sorry, Josie. Um, if I had to be an item of furniture, what would I be? Uh, and why? Um, it's a really good question. Um, I don't have a way to answer for it at all. I was going to say like a comfy seat, but then someone's ass is going to be on me and I don't like that. Um, so I want something that's uncomfortable. <laughs> maybe, maybe, what about just an ottoman? Or maybe... Maybe a nice, uh, like, display case so you could peacock a bit. I like this. I like this. That's exactly what I would be. All right. That's exactly what I would be. Uh, a Victorian display cabinet. Very nice. Thank you very much. You're, you know, you're classy. I, I, occasionally. Once, uh, maybe. Allegedly. Uh, I agree about uh, Josie. She is not Ghostwood, uh, but she is Ghostwood. Mm. Um, and if I could be trapped as any part of any piece of furniture, uh, I would like to be a, a one of them burly locks that you see on sunken treasure chests. Ooh, nice. It's the ones that you need to take a big stone to and smack at least seven times before it opens. Right. And I would live nice. for centuries. Um, yeah. Finally. So- Darren asks us, uh, uh, again, special thanks to Darren, uh, partly for all his hard work with the uh, the Photoshop and whatnot. Also, this question is amazing. Oh. If for two days, Duncan, you could be mm. any character other than Cooper or Deputy Hawk, who and why? Uh, Audrey Horn. Oh yeah, and nice. For the, for those two days, I would not be clothed, and my fingers would be <laughs> like up inside myself. Uh, so, which is quite a graphic answer, but trust me, I have no shame in saying that. Um, so there you go. All right, that, that, that's that's the answer to that question. All right. So, are you sticking with the the horn? Yeah, I'm still playing it through my head right now. It's the greatest thing ever. All right. Um, I'm going to go Wyndham Earl. Oh. Because it would be kind of fun to be evil for a bit. Like purely crazy and evil and get away with it. Nice. Um, Here's the second part to his question. Mm -hmm. If you like, I would also wonder who you'd pick between Cooper and Hawk. But you only get one day because a man cannot spend too much time flying that close to the sun and live to tell about it. It's true. It's yeah. True. Um, if I had to choose between the two, um, it'd be hot for yeah. me. Uh, I mean, a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. Because there's all kinds of stuff that is going on with Hawk that we just don't get to see. Like, I bet for all of like, you know, Agent Cooper was flirting with Audrey and now Annie shows up. Hawk, I bet, if he is not married, because uh, I could see that, where he he just has this long-time love that he doesn't even have to talk about. 
Um, yeah, I, I, we've already mentioned before Harim. Yeah, th- there's certainly that possibility just from the sexual angle. Also, just knowing what Hawk know for a day would be fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like the phrasing Agreed. of that, though. The uh, You only get one day with these gentlemen. Unlike the two, you get Audrey for two or you get Hawk for one. I think I'd still go Hawk. Yes, I would as well. I'd hate myself for eternity, but I would. I mean, it's a devil's bargain. Um, Duncan. Yes. That uh, that there is the end of uh, tonight's episode. Before we uh, fully call it a day, uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you if they want to hear more of, of such things? If they want to hear more of me, they can check me out on the podcast Under the Stairs. I um, have just finished my Hellraiser Russian Roulette retrospective, and coming on Monday uh, is the absolutely incredible finale of Baz V Leatherface, where he sits down and goes through the remake, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, which is a prequel to the remake, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D, which is a sequel to the original movie. it's pretty fucking amazing, and Baz is nothing short than phenomenal on it, so they should check it out. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash teaputscast, teaputscast.com. Uh, it's on iTunes, but it's also a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. And I will do a little plug for something that will be coming in the next week and a half. I got the fantastic opportunity to guest on The Little Pod of Horrors, which is um, Boz's show. Now, Boz has recently become part of the Legion podcast family with his work with Court and the Witch on their brand new OCD mm-hmm. podcast, which that debut episode's fucking brilliant. Loved that one. They were talking about Dolomite. Um, but he does his own show, which is a very long-standing show. I think it's older than any of the shows on our network, actually. I think his show's... Circa 2008, I think it started. Now it's um, been nice doing a show with you, but I'm not going to sit around and let you badmouth the <laughs> network. <laughs> and um, he invited me on. I'd been on once before, but he invited me on uh, to discuss a little movie called The Neon Demon, uh, which was, for anyone that's been keeping score, my number one horror movie of last year. And um, the reason he invited me on is because he watched it and it finished and much like people that listen to this podcast and the episode finish, that overwhelming sense of, huh? Uh, kind of comes over you. Hmm? What did, <laughs> huh? Huh? Um, he kind of felt the same. He, he thought he liked it, but he wasn't sure if he got it. And that's no disrespect to him at all. He was just like, I don't really... I think there's probably something going on here that I'm just not getting. Um, and I have been preaching about this movie for about the past... Well, since October when I saw it. Um, and I've never actually done a review on any show, so I invited me on to speak on it. I spoke for shy of two hours, um, and I go in depth. If you have heard me speak about movies before, you will know that I tend to approach them with a degree of passion. Um, you maybe will not have heard me go as conspiratorial um, in what I actually believe that movie is about and what it's actually doing, as you will hear in that review. So it should be Hopefully out by the next Duncan and Bogo to Twin Peaksies so I can pimp it again. But it will be coming up very soon on the Little Pod of Horrors, so you should go and check it out. Fucking love that movie. Also came to the conclusion, because I'm always forward-thinking my analysis of the movie, I've also come to the conclusion that Nicholas Winden Refn 
um, basically remade The Wicker Man when he made uh, Neon Demon. I actually think it's like it's like The Wicker Man if it was directed by Argento. Hmm. Okay. And, and I stand I stand by that. So that's my new my new take on the movie. So you've still not watched it yet, but happily sat down and watched the last Underworld movie. What does it matter with you? Oh, so many things, Duncan. Um, <laughs> Plus, I'm not sure you're going to like it. I get the feeling that... That's one of the I reasons the I haven't watched that movie in particular, is that I'm not a big fan of, of the director. Um, yeah. I, I think he is... I, I think he has an amazing eye. I've just never ended a movie that he's directed and thought, well, that was a good story. Mm. Um. So, I don't know. I don't know. I, I came close One with day. Drive, but uh, not not One quite. Um, hey, hey, everyone. Uh, hey. If you wanted to listen to more of uh, my stuff, then uh, head over to legionpodcasts.com. Um, there you'll find uh, like Devour the Podcast is back. Um, you can hear that. There's Horror Hangover, which is an exclusive new podcast that Duncan was kind enough to be on uh, this past week. Uh, yeah it's a good time it's it's uh just you know hosts from around the network uh it's a little bit of a get to know you you know like hey let's just uh chat about some stuff and have a good time uh and and it allows the listener one would hope an opportunity to listen to some voices that maybe they haven't listened to before um so yeah so that's a lot of fun and uh the shotcast the video game stuff uh, what am I forgetting, Duncan? What else am I doing? Hero Hero Go Hero, Show will Hero have a new episode Show. in like ten days. Oh, nice! So yeah, that that's a thing. Um, I think that's it. That's enough. LegionPodcasts.com. Go there. Uh, and and if you would, uh, if you like what you hear, tell a friend and leave a review. Uh, on on the iTunes or whatever uh software you use to listen to our show, it would it would be appreciated, uh, and certainly helpful. Um, so thanks. Thanks everyone. And, uh, and a big thanks to everyone who, who picked up one of the Legion shirts. Um, now that I, I kind of know the quality that we're dealing with and it seems pretty good. Uh, we're going to open that up to a more long-term run. We just did a, a couple of weeks there to, uh, see what would break. And it turns out the only thing that broke was me. Uh, in, in not having the forethought to think like, Oh, Hey, if we sell this shirt in black, and the URL of uh, the the website is in black. That's probably going to be tough to see. Yeah. So sorry. Uh, as I said on a, another show, like if you got a black on black and are like, "Hey, I want to, uh, I want one that that you can see." Uh, first of all, thank you for advertising for us. Second of all, <laughs> um, yes, uh, just let me know that, and and we'll make arrangements. We'll we'll get you sorted out. Uh, you can do that at uh, legionpodcasts.com or bo at legionpodcasts.com if you want to just shoot me an email. So, uh, But uh, thanks again to everyone who bought one, and and pretty soon we're going to have that in a couple of different styles and um, and coffee mugs I'm, because I want a coffee mug. So uh, you, ha- you get yourself a coffee mug, bro. I am. I am. So if anyone wants to drink uh, coffee from a, you know, I'm sure safe coffee mug. Um, <laughs> sorry, I am, I'm the worst advertiser ever. This will probably not kill you if you were to get a Legion podcast coffee mug. No promises. Um, 
So that's it for this time out. And uh, big thanks as always uh, to those who have been listening from the beginning. God bless you. Uh, we will be back after this week's of Twin Peaksies uh, to deliver unto you the final episodes of season two. And then we're going to get weird, folks. We're going to talk Firewalk with me and the new shit. So, uh, yeah. all right. Fucking time. Yeah, we will see you um, less than a week from now, as of the time this drops, uh, for more Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaksies. Say goodnight, Duncan. Goodnight, Duncan. Goodnight. China. 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 Vagina. <laughs> I've just started grunting at it. <laughs> Which is that's how I think Donald Trump greets her vagina. Excited.